Good morning, everyone. We are here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio at Pressbox. I'm here with Ryan Blake while Paul Valley is on vacation. Ryan, uh, thanks for coming in on a Saturday. I really appreciate that. Thanks for being here. Yeah, you bet. I'm, uh, I'm glad you invited me. Glad you thought of me. It's pretty cool. So I'm, uh, I'm pumped to be here and to uh, co-host a show with you today. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, lot to talk about this week, to be honest. Uh, the Orioles, they, they broke a 14-game a losing streak. Uh, one of the... I would say worst losing streaks in franchise history. I mean, there's been worse. They, you know, they obviously lost 21 straight to start the 1988 season. But hey, I mean, they're they're they've now won three in a row um, against the tw- two of them were against the Twins, not the best team in the world. Uh, one of them against the Indians, who are you know they've been fine this year. They're not maybe the first place team. Maybe some people expected them to be. But the Orioles kind of look like they've gotten back on track so far this year. Um, they they really feel like they they they're not that awful down, you know, no confidence team they were when they lost 14 straight. Yeah, it was certainly a rough stretch. Like you said, one of the worst in franchise history for sure. I think it was tied for the second longest that the Orioles have had since 54. But uh, yeah, coming back and winning three in a row, you know, that's how we started the season in Boston. And then kind of we kind of stayed, you know, back and forth a little bit for a while trying to get to 500 didn't quite work out for us. And then obviously that losing skid, but it's nice to finally be back on track a little bit. And uh, and hopefully it's a trend that will uh, will continue for at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, look, we're not expecting this team to win a lot of games, you know, going forward. But hey, I mean, they, they for right now, they look to be back on some semblance of a track. You know, they're not it, it, this team. It really feels like a confidence thing with me. Like, you know, they lost 14 straight and every game you go out there thinking, all right, we're going to lose tonight. You know, you, there's just no confidence there. And that goes for maybe, you know, every guy in this lineup, every guy in this pitching staff. There's just no confidence at all. Now, you know, you, you go win two against the Twins who are supposed to be a good team. They're not. But it, it seems like to me there is a definite confidence boost that has been from just winning these three games. You look at a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, who is now tearing the cover off the ball. Um, he wasn't before, but he suddenly is now. So it's good to see. Yeah, he, I mean, he's been hit, hitting, the hard, hitting the ball pretty hard uh, throughout the course of the season, just hasn't been able to find the holes. But uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's finally starting to turn it around, which is nice. And, and we've been saying for the last few weeks now, John Means and pray for rain. I mean, that's, that's yeah. been the confidence level yeah. of this team. If John Means isn't on the bump, which he is this afternoon, we, we haven't had any type of hope. But with winning three in a row, there's a little bit of confidence coming back. Bruce Zimmerman and Keegan Aiken have both been uh, pretty good these last couple days. So hopefully that will uh, will continue and, and we'll start to see some of these guys get a little bit of their swagger back. For sure. I mean, I would say a bit of a surprise from Keegan Aiken. You know, obviously did not have that good spring. He was optioned to AAA, spent a little bit of time down there. And honestly, he didn't pitch that well. From what I've seen, you know, in the stats, I didn't actually see the games. But from what I've seen in the stats, he was fine, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really good. He wasn't really what he was at the end of that 2020 season when he came up, started those four games and was a really solid pitcher for the Orioles. Now he looks back to that. Is, is Keegan Aiken going forward a piece for this team right now at least in this year yeah I mean I hope so he showed us flashes like you said last year of what he can do he and Kramer both and you know this year hasn't been great for them but Aiken last night in his outing uh five and two-thirds I believe it was scoreless innings, four strikeouts just one walk so uh you know hopefully that's uh sending him down and and getting some extra work in will will be beneficial we saw uh, Dean Kramer pitch well for Norfolk the other night as well seven strikeouts in four innings against a very tough Durham Bulls lineup featuring Wander Franco and a few other top prospects. So, you know, hopefully hopefully Aiken can, can start to figure it out and, and Kramer as well because those are two guys who, when we saw them in, in a little bit of, of, uh, of opportunity last year, 
they were both pretty solid. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I think Dean Kramer has been one of the more surprising bad performances so far this year. He put together a string of, I, I think, three starts where he gave up like one run in all of them, which was fine. And maybe it started to look like Kramer was getting back. Now he's been optioned. Um, where is your confidence level with Kramer? When do you see him coming back into this rotation at this point? I, I don't see it being soon, just based on what the Orioles have gotten out of their other starters right now. Yeah, I mean, this is the second time he's been optioned this year, and I think yeah. this time it'll be a little more long-term. I'm a big Dean Kramer guy, personally. Me too, I think yes. Stuff yeah. is, I, I saw him uh, in, in person for the first time at the Arizona Fall League in 2019, and his ability to throw any pitch in any count, and, and all his mm-hmm. pitches, you know, he's, he's got good spin rates. Uh, his, his cutter has significantly improved in the last couple years, but... You know, you can make the argument that he's he's started so many games against the Yankees and Red Sox to start his major league career, but at some point you've got to stop leaving pitches in the middle of the zone in, right. in hitters counts, and so you know that's that's something that he's definitely going to have to hone in on in the minors. And uh, you know, I think it'll be a little bit of an extended stay at Norfolk. I think we'll see at least a few more starts out of him down there. Uh, but overall, my my outlook on Kramer is still pretty positive overall, despite what has been a very rough start to the 2021 season for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the outlook is definitely positive. I just want to remind you, the Batteron is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance. But, Ryan, let's talk about Tanner Scott, Paul Fry, and Cole Salzer. They've been arguably the three best guys in this Orioles bullpen as of right now, um, and maybe even over the whole season. They've been very good. Um, you know, Tanner Scott, we know he's not a command guy. We know he's a guy who's going to throw a lot of balls, he's going to walk a lot of guys, but he gets the strikeouts, and he has really, really good stuff. We know Cole Saucer had the injury last year, the, the toe injury that we didn't even know about until now, and Cole Saucer looks like he's back on track as a solid pitcher for this year, and Paul Fry is is maybe one of the best lefty relievers in baseball right now. He's pitching to like a 1-6 ERA. Uh, he's been extremely infect- effective, so... What is your take on those three guys? Are those three, number one, trade bait? And number two, are those three solidifying themselves as actual real pitchers who can actually get outs for this team? I'd like to think so. I mean, you've, when you're in the position that the Orioles are in right now, you've got to listen to anybody who's willing to, to give you anything in a trade, uh, especially if it's for a left-handed yeah. reliever. And the Orioles have two who could possibly be floated around in trade discussions. Paul Fry kind of been thrust into the closer role recently with a struggling Cesar Valdez. Uh, Tanner Scott last night was one pitch away from an immaculate inning. He struck out three on ten. Pitches. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was he was dirty. He got uh, he had six swings on his slider. Five of them were whiffs. So uh, a very yeah. good outing last night for Tanner Scott. That's certainly encouraging to see. And Solcer, I, I you know last year there was a, a lot of a lot of discussion about you know Solcer in the closer role and you know whether or not he had some dirt on Brandon Hyde or something and you know <laughs> what what was going on there cuz Solcer wasn't really thriving necessarily in that closer role and a lot of Oriole fans were saying you know we want to see someone else get a shot and I was in that boat as well but Solcer has really turned things around this year and and, and certainly impressed me uh, and especially with with uh, Sean Armstrong struggling we needed someone like Solcer to step up and so he's been big for us this year. Yeah, speaking of Armstrong, uh, just DFA'd yesterday. Probably a move that everyone saw coming. I don't think Armstrong... I mean, look, he, he was fine in 2020. You know, he was he was good, but obviously a small sample size. And, and you can say that about any pitcher or any hitter, really. It, it's a... It's not the most legitimate season in the world, you know, 60 games, and Sean Armstrong is fine. Um, but, you know, the, the, the sad reality of being on a Major League Baseball team is that at any time, if you're not performing over a long period of time, you're probably not going to be on the team any longer. Now that's happened to to a lot of guys on this team, and now Sean Armstrong is the next casualty. Um, I, I don't know if he'll be claimed, but I would think the Orioles would want to keep him in the organization if he were to pass through. He is still an arm that can come up and get you... 
I wouldn't say a lot of outs, but maybe a fair amount of outs. Um, he's he's good enough to keep in your organization, maybe give you some depth at AAA. Yeah, I certainly think he's a guy that the Orioles will hope uh, passes through waivers and, and we're able to, to send him down to the minors, and hopefully he'll, he'll accept that. Um, but yeah, he's a guy, you know, another one who last year kind of showed some flashes of what he could do, and just out of the gate this season, it just wasn't working out for him. So unfortunate for sure for Sean, you know, good guy, just became a dad, so, yeah. you know, very happy for him in that regard, but... You know, like you said, you've got to show results at the major league level, or else you know you're going to be the odd man out when it comes time for someone like Hunter Harvey to come back off the IL. Yeah, it's it's not a business, even on a rebuilding team, where you can go up there and just not have an ability to get out. And that's been what Sean Armstrong has been over the past few weeks. And it's it's not great. You know, there's not a lot of Orioles pitchers who right now, except like I said, you know, Paul Fry, Tanner Scott. Cole Saucer that can consistently get out. So whoever they bring up, you know, they brought up Travis Lakins. We'll see how long he sticks. I don't know that they'll be, you know, miles better than what Sean Armstrong was giving the Orioles, but you can hope they would have less than an eight ERA and and not be as destructive as Armstrong was. Now, another reliever that came back last night, Hunter Harvey. Um, you said you didn't see most of the game, but did you get any chance uh, to see what Hunter Harvey was able to deliver? He gave up an earned run, but the stuff looked fine. You know, he threw a couple good sliders. The fastball is still popping 98, 97. Um, you know, the hair was in all, all of its great form. Uh, anything you saw from Hunter Harvey last night that you thought, man, maybe this guy could actually stick around in this bullpen if he's healthy? Yeah, the mullet back in all its glory. It was exciting to see. Uh, <laughs> I, I only caught the highlights, unfortunately. I had a, a big dinner last night. My girlfriend's parents finally met my oh, parents. Nice. So uh, an, an exciting time for us. But So I didn't get to catch much of the game, unfortunately. But I did see that, you know, Harvey gave up that, that triple to Harold Ramirez on what was kind of an unfortunate bounce out at, by the, uh, the tarp crew shed out there. Um, so a, li- a little bit of an unfortunate bounce there. But it was a hard hit ball. It was an extra base hit. Regardless, run probably scores either way. But... Uh, you know, he, he wasn't great in his in his rehab outings, but he was he was good enough, obviously, to make a comeback. And, and hopefully Harvey is someone who can really hone in on his craft. And we have to remember, he's only pitched about 15 innings at the major league level. I think it was 14 and two thirds coming into last. Right. Night, so it's not been a lot. Despite all we know about Hunter Harvey, we've hardly seen him at the big league level. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping he's able to stay healthy and, and at least give himself a shot uh, as as the season progresses. I made a bet with someone last night that Hunter Harvey goes on the IL at least one time this, more this season. Um, I have zero confidence in him to stay healthy. I, I just cannot see Harvey being a piece for this team because he's always injured. Um, I, I looked it up last night, seven injured list stints since he's been in the minor leagues, and that's obviously why he's never become the player we thought he was going to be. I, I, he was talk, being talked about with Dylan Bundy years and years ago as the next frontline ace of the Orioles, and he just hasn't gotten there because he's been on the 60-day IL so many times, and it's just happening again. So I don't have a lot of confidence, but if the stuff can continue to be what, what it was last night, you know, he can continue to locate, he might be fine. You know, he might be something that you can, maybe you get two or three innings out of him. You know, he, he I don't know how stretched out he is, but he, I think he did pitch three innings at Norfolk the other night. So Let's hope that he does at least something. Now, another guy that a lot of Orioles fans love in this bullpen is Cesar Valdez. Um, where do you stand on Cesar Valdez? Because it, from what I've seen, the guy it, it cannot get out anymore. There is he's not fo- the dead fish is not the dead anymore. It, it's not fooling anybody. Like Cesar Valdez comes out every time now, and you go, okay, one is he going to locate? And two, is he not going to hang every single changeup to every single guy like he wasn't at the beginning of the year? So where do you stand on Valdez? I mean, there's a good reason why he was not a major league pitcher, you know, for a long period of time until now. And he's 35. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously struggled mightily as of late. He had two consecutive outings where he didn't get through an inning, gave up three earned runs. Uh, so not what you want to see. His ERA jumped from 250 a couple weeks ago to now 531, which certainly not yeah, what you want to see no. from Valdez. And, you know, like I, like I said a few minutes ago, Paul Fry now taking over the closer role, at least for now, with, with Valdez in more of a middle inning situation. Uh, didn't see him last night with the lead, so, so it's pretty clear what his role has become with him struggling. But, you know, Matt, Matt Kremnitzer made a great point on Twitter a couple weeks ago about Valdez, and on a bad team... With a 36-year-old pitcher who's finally getting a shot, and he's fun to watch when he's on. Mm-hmm. He's he's a lot of fun to watch. Why why complain about something like that? It's one of the few bright spots on what was a very yeah. bad team. And obvi- you know, obviously that that has changed in the last couple weeks with him struggling. But you know, while he was hot, we we were riding it while he could, and and I I enjoyed it personally. I mean, that's a fair point. He was effective for a large majority of of well. I shouldn't say large, but he was he was good for all of 2020, and so far in this year, he's been you know up and down. It was it was a great start, and now he's kind of faltered. Um, I'm not maybe that's a part of Chris Holt leaving. I, I we haven't talked about that. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later in Orioles banter with Chris Holt and the job he's done. But I, maybe that's part of it. I I really don't know, but Cesar Valdez needs to get back on you know the the dead fit he needs to start making the dead fish work again if he wants to stay on this team long term because as we talked about the Armstrong you can't be a guy not getting outs for this team for even even a long period of time on a on a rebuilding team so let's hope Valdez is able to turn it around now the Orioles also made a catcher switch this week that we haven't talked about since last show because that happened on Sunday Austin wins has now replaced Chance Cisco as the Orioles backup catcher Wins is a, is a defensive first guy. He's not much of a bat guy. Um, he doesn't really he his his plate appearances to me not good. I mean, it, it, I feel like they have more effort than what Chance Cisco and Pedro Severino put into them, but I don't see a lot of uh, of Austin Wins being dangerous at the plate. But we know behind the plate is where he really is the the catcher that everyone likes him as. Um, he's a solid defender, and I think from what I've seen in you know in the very few appearances of Austin wins we've had so far the defense has been solid it hasn't been perfect but it's been at least way better than Severino and a little bit better than what Chance Cisco has provided so far if I can play devil's advocate on wins bat for a second though uh, Cisco for in, in all of Cisco's 20 2021 season thus far uh, he had three batted balls that were uh, 90 I, either 95 or 100 miles an hour Terrible. or harder off the bat Three of them. Yeah. Austin Wins had two in his in his first that's, game. Despite that's impressive. Going, despite going 0 for four, so hit the ball hard. Uh, it just it just didn't look great. And obviously he struck out in a big a big spot in the the eighth or ninth inning. There it was late in the game. Yeah. So unfortunate to see, but like you said, he's a defensive minded catcher. Uh, it looks like so far he's doing a solid job with the pitching staff. Right. That, that could be in part due to Chris Holt coming back as well. But you know we brought Wins up. To, to help out the pitchers, to play solid defense behind the plate, which is something that Cisco was not providing. And like you said, there's there was no effort in Cisco's swing. And I, I don't know I don't know what happened. Because he all throughout the yeah. minor leagues, great hitter, great on base guy, a little bit of power. And then he gets them and he he'll, he'll swing at a pitch right down the middle and it, it looks like he's he's trying to just 
All too a, often. Hit a ground ball to his little league second baseman at practice. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't I don't understand where that, that came from. That is the thing you just mentioned. He always hits the ball. He grounds out the second base probably more than he does anything. It's it's always a ground out of second base. And by the way, he went down to Norfolk and I saw at one point in the game in his first game he was three for three. So maybe he's just an internal triple A star. I, I don't know what it is, but I don't have any confidence that Chance Cisco is going to be good ever at the major league level. I don't think anybody really thinks that at this point. So Austin wins. Solid defensive replacement. But as Stan's going to talk about later, I know Stan wants to talk about it a lot, but the Orioles simply should have and still can sign a defensive-minded catcher that might hit a little bit better than what Chance Cisco can give you. Maybe like a Jonathan Lucroy, like a Jeff Mathis. I know Stan really wants to talk about this. We'll talk about that with him later. But right now, the Orioles aren't getting a lot out of their catchers, even Severino. I mean, the bat has been... Okay, he had a long home run this week. I think it was like 450. It was crazy. Uh, massive shot off Severina's bat, but his defense is worse than Cisco's. I mean, that, and that's saying something. Like yeah. his defense is horrible. And I, 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 again, I see it's a little bit of like laziness behind the plate. I don't see a lot of like get up and go. Let me try to block this ball. Let me try to throw out this runner. It's just kind of like a relaxed thing. And I, I don't know if that's the case or that's just how he is in, in general. But I don't see a lot of. I don't see a lot of talent from any of the catchers in this on this team, except for obviously a guy like Adley Rutschman, who's going to be here in a year, and we've just got to wait for wait for that. It's it's simple right now. It's just waiting for Adley Rutschman to make his debut. Now, Ryan, uh, we have a great show coming up today. Jim Rosenhouse, uh, radio broadcaster for the Indians, he's going to join us at 1020 to talk about the Indians and the Orioles this weekend. Orioles took game one last night. We have Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment. Instead of at 1020, like usual, he'll be on at 1050. And then Rich Dubroff will join us from BaltimoreBaseball.com uh, at 1135. He's going to talk all things Orioles. He's on here pretty regularly, and we'll talk about, you know, everything coming up with the Orioles in, in this summer and, you know, the trade deadline that's uh, really fast approaching approaching in July. Um, now, Ryan, I usually do a sounding off segment on the show where I talk about something that kind of made me angry this week, maybe something I liked, uh, and it, it really doesn't have to be Orioles related. I have to get Jim Rosenhouse on the phone, so you actually came up with something this week you were going to talk about. Uh, so go ahead, give us your sounding off segment for this week. Yeah, not really anything I'm mad about, to be honest with you. Um, I just wanted to talk about, you know, and, and we'll get into this a lot more later on in the show, but uh, there's been a lot of discourse, especially on Orioles Twitter these last couple days, in regards to the, the status of the rebuild. And, you know, like I said, we're going to get into that in a little bit. I'm going to have a, a whole podcast centered around that. But, um, you know, at this point, it's, it's hard to look at what Mike Elias has done and be disappointed. Uh, one thing that, that has frustrated some Oriole fans, uh, you know, when I think of the 2019 Orioles team, aside from Trey Mancini, the bats that I think of are Jonathan VR. Hanser Alberto, Renato Nunez, and Rio Ruiz. All four of them at this point gone. Ruiz, the most recent victim designated for assignment, claimed by the Colorado Rockies. Hanser Alberto is a utility guy with the Kansas City Royals. He has a 654 OPS. Renato Nunez had a cup of coffee with the Detroit Tigers, but he's back in the minors at this point. Jonathan Villar playing third base for the Mets. He's having an okay season, but not really close to what he did with the Orioles in 2019 when he put up 4.1 war over the course of the season and played all 162 games. So, um, you know, th and that's what a rebuild is. You know, you need these guys to to come in, play their role. And these were all good guys with us, but there were a lot of people disappointed when, when Alberto and, and Nunez were, were let go. And, you know, unfortunately that's the way it is, but they served their time, and, and that's, that's what is going to happen in a rebuild. 
Yeah, all good points, Ryan. Um, it's we'll definitely get into that more later in the show. But thanks for giving us that. Now, uh, Jim Rosenhaus from Indians Radio. Uh, he does Indians Radio for them every day. Jim, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate uh, you coming on and joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, to get to talk to you because the Orioles are playing the Indians this weekend. They are obviously two teams in very different spots, but I want to start off with something that kind of affected the whole league, I would say. Um, obviously, the, the trade of Francisco Lindor. This trade has sent you know shockwaves across the league because it is a superstar being traded. So I want to, I want to first start off by asking you, how has the fan base kind of reacted to the Lindor trade and then what the return has been and how they've played so far at the minors and the major league level? Well, obviously the, the fan reaction when it happened was not good in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, Francisco was, uh, obvious. you look at, at what he did on the field and, and that speaks for itself. And he was a very popular player because of that, but also because of his personality and, and everything you see with the Mr. Smile and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was great to have from, from a fan standpoint. So that was, you expected back backlash, and, and that certainly happened. Um, I think at this point in time, people are, have pretty much moved on. I mean, they mm-hmm. certainly remember his days fondly, but the season has begun, and, and you're in a season, and, and he's not with the ball club. So and, you know, I think most fans just kind of figure you you watch the team that's there at this point. So I think from that standpoint, they kind of turned the page a little bit. Um, in terms of what they've gotten back, Ahmed Rosario has been extremely useful mm-hmm. uh, at shortstop most of the time now. Early in the season, they actually had him in center field a little bit because one of the other players acquired in that trade, Andres Jimenez, won the shortstop's job in spring training, but struggled early. So he's now at AAA Columbus and Rosario's moved back to the infield, and, and he's the everyday shortstop, and actually swinging the bat really well, and, and uh, playing fairly well at shortstop too. So that's been good. Um, in terms of the the prospects they got back, they're both in low A ball, so they're a long, long way away. Mm-hmm. Um, look, you guys know, uh, you, you look at young prospects and you feel great about them, but when they're in A ball, um, it's hard to project when they'll be here, what they'll be when they get here, if indeed they get here at any point in time. Uh, the percentages would indicate that, you know, it's it's not a guarantee. So, um, you know, to look at the two prospects now and, and say, oh, they, they got a great deal on this trade, I think that would be hard to do. Like every trade, uh, you probably have to wait three, four years down the road to see. But obviously the Indians gave up a star player, and that's, that's something that they've had to try to adjust and figure out how to, to work through. Jim Ryan Blake here. Uh, I wanted to ask you while you're talking about prospects, uh, a couple guys who are off to slow starts this year at Columbus, uh, Bobby Bradley and Nolan Jones. Now Jones, a third baseman by trade, Bradley, a first baseman, both of whom uh, have been relatively highly touted. Jones, obviously the Indians top prospect at the moment, Bradley a little bit lower on the list, but the Indians haven't gotten much production from the first base spot. And now with Fran Reyes, on the injured list, they're they're not getting much from designated hitter either. Uh, but both of those guys off to slow starts at Columbus. Bradley, the power numbers are there, but not much else. And Jones just struggling overall. Uh, two guys who I expected to see uh, relatively early in this season. Is there any growing concern uh, within the organization about the slow starts for those two guys? And do you think we could see either of them soon, uh, whether or not they turn it around, just purely because of the situation that the Indians are experiencing at first base? 
Um, you know what, Ryan? I think it is a possibility for sure, and, and much more so uh, in the case of Bobby Bradley because he has major league experience, had a really, really good spring. Um, so there's a little bit more of a track record, and he's a little more advanced than Nolan Jones. I mean, he's had good AAA seasons, especially in the power department. So uh, you would say he's closer to the major leagues, and if they did need to make a move, uh, whether it's today or next week or the week after or, or down the road further, he he would be closer than Nolan Jones. This is Nolan Jones's first year at AAA, right? So I think the, the growing pains there, um, you're willing to live with a little bit more as he gets used to moving up a level. So in, in terms of the two. Uh, Bradley would be much closer to the major leagues. Well, don't mind me. I'm just an anxious Nolan Jones dynasty owner. <laughs> Zach, I'll turn <laughs> it back to you. That. I know the Indians are high on him for sure. Oh, yeah. So Ryan mentioned some of the prospects in this Indians organization, and it seems like to me there are a lot of guys tearing, you know, tearing the cover off the ball right now down in the Indians org. Who are some guys that you know have impressed and really are making a case for themselves to make it to the major league level this year outside of a guy like Nolan Jones or Bobby Bradley? Well, one of them's already here in Owen Miller, who was off to a great start at the the AAA level, was hitting over 400. He, he has struggled since coming up, but um, you know they certainly seem to be committed to, to giving him at bats to see if they can get him going at this level. Uh, he was one of, of six players that they acquired in the Mike Clevenger trade with the Padres last year, and I'm telling you, I think all six may might at some point in time. Uh, reach the major leagues and be contributors. Uh, wow. Three are established major leaguers and, and already on the roster in, in Josh Naylor and Austin Hedges and Cal Quantrill, but uh, they really like this Gabriel Arias, um, the shortstop at AAA Columbus right now. He was very impressive in spring training. Um, so you couple him with Owen Miller, one of the others acquired in that trade, and, and they feel very strongly about that. But, um, you know, again, a, a little bit deeper in the system, it's so hard to say, you know, these guys are on the major league radar for this season because it, it's just unlikely that someone from single A or, or double sure, A would yeah. would make that jump. So you really kind of focus on Columbus right now and, and see what they have. And um, honestly, no one's really going that well. I mean, they just called up Bradley Zimmer, and, and he's actually um, been pretty, t- pretty good so far in, in about 10 days in the big leagues. Um, I know they were kind of hoping that maybe Oscar Mercado would find the swing that that allowed him to have success as a rookie in 2019, but it hasn't happened. Um, and they're still, you know, holding out hope for Bradley that, that he gets going a little bit. And some others, Daniel Johnson's another one that I know they're very high on, but hasn't been able to put up the numbers at AAA. So uh, it's been a little bit frustrating, I think, for the organization because there's opportunity in, in the major league outfield for sure. And at first base, as you guys mentioned, and, um, you know, maybe even to some extent at that designated hitter as long as Reyes is out. So uh, that's been a little bit frustrating because there's been some opportunities, but but no one's really jumped at it and, and taken that ball and run with it. You mentioned Bradley Zimmer, and he's another guy that was a, a, fa- a fairly large prospect when he was coming up through the organization. You know, obviously known as more of a, of a field first guy. He's obviously very fast, has great range in the outfield. But the Indians expect him this time around to do more with the bat. And so far, it looks like he has. He's hitting 294. But in his earlier, in his previous major league stints, he hasn't done too much with the bat. So are they expecting more out of him this time around? Uh, yeah, I think so, and 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 why not? I mean, he's he's someone when he had a chance, um, and I know you mentioned that you know very good in, in the outfield, and 
Um, that is true, but he also showed that there's some combination of, of speed and power there. He's your classic five-tool player in that uh, he has plus speed. Um, anything hit on the ground on the infield is not a routine out with him. Um, he has pretty good gap power and, and some over-the-fence power, too. And then you combo that with good defense and a plus arm, and there's a lot to like there. But you're right. I mean, he, he he's trying to show that he can hit up here on a regular basis. And I'm not sure if you watched the game last night, but he was facing a couple of tough lefties and, yep. and put up mm-hmm. really good at-bats. And, and that's encouraging from a left-handed hitter um, who in the past has struggled with lefties. He's been different since coming back this time. It, it seems like he's a little more calm at the plate. And his at-bats have been really good. Even if he's not getting a base hit or getting on base, they've been quality at-bats. And, and I think that's really encouraging, and it will pay off in the long run. I do want to talk about two more young guys that are struggling so far but have great potential, can do a lot for the Indians team down the road. That's Logan Allen and Tristan McKenzie, two very young guys. Um, they have infinite potential, but they've struggled so far. What has gone wrong for these two guys this year, and what do they have to do to get back to you know the, the prospect that they were? You know, it's interesting because Allen um, won a job in spring training by, by throwing extremely well, but it did not mm-hmm. go well early in the season, and, and now they you know, he's had some minor things going on where, where he hasn't been able to make some starts in the minor leagues, so um, he may be a little ways away. McKenzie, um, you know, he's he's been optioned to, to Columbus, but <laughs> he hasn't pitched there yet because uh, they had an injury, so he came back and, and was able to pitch then, and then they had one of those double headers, so he was the extra guy and made a start there. So he's still on his turn in the rotation, and these, these starts for Columbus where he was going to, you know, kind of restart and build from the ground up, that kind of thing, um, he's had them up here, and, and they've been really good. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but it's been good for, for McKenzie. Um, his last start, it was weird. He gave, the line said he gave up five runs, but there were some defensive miscues behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, he struck out eight in a row at one point. Which it, that's an Indian's record. And when you consider wow. they've had Bob Feller and Corey Kluber and guys sure. like that in their in franchise history, and, and now McKenzie is in the record books for for most strikeouts in a row in one game. So um, at that you look at that and you say this is exciting. Um, over five years, he had less than 400 minor league innings because of injuries. So he's a little bit behind development wise, but and it'll run from inning to inning sometimes. But sometimes you see it and you say, here's a, a kid who could really be exciting. Yeah. Um, and then there's other innings where he'll walk four in a row, and, and that's a problem. So he's trying to get through that and, and find the consistency with his delivery and also just the willingness to attack hitters. Uh, you guys see it with the young pitching for the Orioles. Sure. you got to have that mindset to go after the hitters and, and not be afraid to, to pitch in the strike zone. And, and that comes and goes with the young pitcher. So. He's making progress, and, and his last two starts have been terrific. So I think we'll see him again um, real soon. The Indians have some off days here, so they don't need a fifth starter. But I think once they do, he'll be back. And for a guy like McKenzie, what is the leash like for him? If he's p- up pitching with the Indians, you know, maybe he's not doing too well. But what, how much do the Indians actually give him to f- kind of figure it out and, and be the guy they expect him to be? Because everything's there. I mean, he's got the size. He's got the stuff. It's just about putting it all together. So how long is that leash for them? I think it's really long, and I think we've seen that already because he had some, some really tough outings early on, and, and they 
they were patient with them, worked through it, you know, skipped a turn with an off day, that type of thing to, to keep them around. Uh, they do want to be careful with his innings this season because of, of the injuries in the past and, and last year not having many. So they're, they're trying to be real careful with that. Um, but they do want him to be with the – they'd love for him to be with the big club for the full season and not be in a situation where he gets to, the, to August and they shut him down because he's reached an innings limit. So I, I think they'd rather skip a turn here and there um, and, and preserve his innings that way so that he's pitching into September and knows what it's like, uh, maybe not innings-wise, but just being around, making those starts in September when, when maybe a you know a playoff spots on the line, things like that. They they want him to be a part of that. So I think it's a real long leash, and, and they're fully invested in him for sure. So obviously, I think you probably know the great pitching matchup we have tonight: John Means, Aaron Savale. Um, Savale has been really, really good. I, I, in my opinion, better than I think most people would have expected. You know, he, he's won seven games. John Means is obviously one of the top pitchers in baseball right now, at least one of the top pitchers in the AL. What do you expect out of those two guys, and do you see any similarities between what those two guys bring to the table? Because both have been very, very good in the American League this year. Well, you know, Savali has that a six-pitch mix because he's got three different fastballs and then, and then the rest of it, too, and, and really um, thinks the game well. He, he, he went to Northeastern University on, a, on an engineering degree, path and all that so he's pretty analytical and and you'll watch him tonight and and if he's on he's he's hitting all four quadrants with different pitches and Mm -hmm. setting hitters up he's not necessarily overpowering but has great movement on on most of his pitches i mean he gets some some really good action um as the ball gets to home plate so that that's his bread and butter um and he's just one of these guys you he may give up some runs early but then you look up and he's still out there in the seventh. It's yeah. amazing how well he has eaten up innings, and, and that's his mo when he goes into a game. His his sole goal is to preserve the bullpen, help out the next day's starter, and if he does both of those things, usually it means he's around in the seventh and the team has a chance to win. So it all kind of comes together. Um, we obviously we haven't seen John Means in a couple of years, mm-hmm. but. Um, it'll be a challenge today for Indians hitters to be sure he's one of the best in the game. You mentioned that the Indians have to kind of eat innings, just like every team does right now, because guys are going from a 60-game season to a 162-game season, and obviously you're going to need a lot more arms and a lot more depth. Have the Indians had any trouble with that so far? Because I know from the Orioles' standpoint, they've had a little bit of trouble just finding guys, fresh bodies to actually throw. And right now, you know, you've got a very solid top of the rotation in Cleveland, but you know, some guys like Tristan McKenzie, Logan Allen, who have struggled a little bit, have maybe opened up a spot for some other guys. So have they struggled with just finding that depth? depth so far well here's some numbers guys from last night um jc mejia was their 10th starting mm-hmm. pitcher of the season it's wild um, i don't count i don't count last year because obviously it was a short year but in 2019 they did use 11 but but 18 17 they used seven starting pitchers the wow. whole year um that has been such a strong suit but when you consider that they've traded uh in recent years Corey kluber Trevor Bauer, yeah. Mike Clevenger. Um, that's a lot of starting pitching to, to part ways with. And that's not saying that those pitchers are, are killing it. Obviously, Bauer is, but Kluber's had injury issues. Clevenger's um, a Tommy John guy now. Um, so from that standpoint, you can't look at it that way and say that they would have been fine here. But 
those were the the days where your fifth starter was a Shane Bieber, and, yeah. and now he's your top of the rotation. So they they are scrambling. The injury to, to Zach Plezak hasn't helped, um, but they do feel like they have a deep organization. And I think we saw last night Mejia has, has good stuff, and we'll see. I'm pretty sure we'll see Cal Quantrill tomorrow, and, and he's has shown really good stuff. So they just keep finding young pitching. Um, there's a little more turnover this year and instability in the rotation, but they just seem to be able to, to churn it out pretty well. And, and they're trying to get through a patch right now for sure. But with some off days, they, they think they can do it and, and then kind of settle it down here in the coming weeks. I mentioned John Means earlier. I think we all know that he is one of the front runners so far for the Cy Young. But how does Shane Bieber stack up against what John Means has done so far? Obviously, Bieber was the 2020 Cy Young winner. But how do how do those two seasons kind of stack up? And do you see Shane Bieber edging out Means uh, so far for the Cy Young? You know, I'm, I'm gonna. I don't want to sound like a Cy Young snob, <laughs> but. The, the, it's amazing what the Indians have done here. That Kluber's had two um, when he was here in fourteen and eighteen, and then and then Bieber did it last year. And to have this discussion in June to me is pointless because I true, think both true. of them. And and last year was different with with Bieber because it was the short season. But in both of Kluber's, if you had said in June that he would be a Cy Young winner, nope, not at all. He just got better as the season went on. Had huge Septembers. And that kind of nailed down the Cy Young. So now that we're back to 162, and, and I'm guessing for a Cy Young pitcher, you're looking at 32 starts probably. Um, to make a judgment now, you can't do it. Good point. Because yep. the Cy Young's over the over the full season, and there, you know, there's going to be those slumps maybe in July where where he means he'll make a start or two where he's just not feeling 100. Um, percent How does he get through those? And then does he? have that bounce back where he gets the second win down the stretch. Because from what I've seen from the Cy Young years, um, that's what happens with those pitchers. They get that second win down the stretch and are dominant in August and September, and boom, mm-hmm. that's how they win a Cy Young. So, um, yeah, if you awarded it in June, I'm not sure. I, I know Beavs has had some, um, some substandard outings by his standards, not necessarily bad outings for anybody, but um, maybe you do give it to me at this point, but, but to award it in June, you can't do that. I, I certainly respect that opinion. However, we don't have a whole lot to be happy about over here in Baltimore right <laughs> now. So. Well, you should be happy about him. We're, we're holding really, on to everything really we can. We do have to hold on to John Means, for sure. Yes. Now, Jim, I wanted to ask you about uh, a hot-button topic in the Indians organization uh, dating back to spring training is who's going to be the closer. And so far this year, Emmanuel Classe and James Karinchek have kind of been in a committee role, uh, both of them uh, approaching 10 saves on the season. So it's kind of just been who's got the hot hand. Karinchek been struggling recently. His last few outings have not been very good, getting bit by the long ball, walking a few too many guys. But uh, between those two, do you expect that kind of committee role to continue or do you think either of them will eventually edge out the other for the job on a more regular basis you know i think um terry francona will just play the hot hand whoever he feels comfortable with at the back end if 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 karen check truly is is going through a patch right now where where it's a struggle um he'll move him out of there and and maybe give the eighth inning for you know a little while and and let class a close a few games um because again he's not married to uh, a particular closer, right? Uh, you know, where it's got to be that same guy the whole season. He has said from the outset, I'm, I'm going to, you know, maybe the tightest part of the game is, is the eighth inning with the best hitters coming up, and, and I want my best guy, whether that's 
Karen Check or Class A. Maybe that's where the game will be won and lost in the eighth. So he would go to them then. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it really – it's nothing that needs to be sorted out. And there, it's a luxury to have two really good arms that, that you feel confident about in that situation. Yeah, like you said, it's great to have two capable arms in the back of that bullpen, especially in a time where, you know, like you said, games are won and lost in the 6th, 7th, 8th inning yeah. now. You don't necessarily need a, a set closer, and we're seeing a lot more teams adopt that kind of committee role. And i got to admit, I, I like what the Indians are doing with the back of that bullpen. Both of them have absolutely electric stuff and, and a lot of fun to watch. So, so, like you said, certainly a luxury for the Indians. Now, I, I want to talk about one more thing that may be a little bit more controversial, and that's the Indians' name change process. Um, it, it seems like it's kind of – I know they said they have like a thousand names they're, they're getting through right now, but it seems like it's something that is progressing you know, from where it was just a few months ago. So where are the Indians in that name change process? And then how do you think the fan base has reacted to all this? Um, you know, initially, and it's kind of been in stages, they, they initially – uh, took the Chief Wahoo logo off the uniform, mm-hmm. and, and I know that created a stir. Um, look, I, I think what it comes down to, and not to to just make it a, a black and white issue because it's not, but I think your older fan base is really upset. Um, I think some of the younger fans, it's not as big a deal, and, and maybe that's just because the older fans, that's been their team for a long, long time, so it's really hard, regardless of the optics of, you know, social awareness and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, some people were excited about it a lot. Probably more people were upset about it in the, in the Cleveland area, to be honest. Um, but I think there's a, a lot of well, maybe younger fans and older fans alike who are kind of like, wow, you know, we, we might have an opportunity to have a say in, in what the name will be um, to some extent. So, so that's kind of fun and exciting. And, and Sure. It's a chance to start fresh. So um, where are they right now? I, I know they're getting closer. They've, they've narrowed it down a little bit. I have no idea what the contenders are. That's like on lock and key somewhere in the ballpark. <laughs> you <laughs> right. know, in, in the meeting room that, that we'll never get to see until the end of the line. But um, it, it's interesting, and I have no idea what the con- – you guys have any ideas? <laughs> I think the spiders have to be one of them, right? I mean, that was the longtime name before, so you never know. That could be the one they, they go back to. I'm a big fan yeah, of spiders I mean, myself. That's the one that's been <laughs> talked about a lot. Here's what they're finding. Whatever names they, they kind of come up with and started to get some traction, then you know you find out there's a high school in New Mexico yeah. that, that has the, the, right, the trademark on it. Sure. So there's a bunch of, of legalese that that they have to go through on everyone, and, and I think that's been a hang-up for some of them, but um, they'll get to it at some point, and hopefully it's it's next year so that they don't go into another season kind of in limbo. Absolutely. Now, Jim, anything you want to plug for us, uh, or plug for yourself, I guess I should say, before we uh, let you go? Well, uh, let's see, plugging. Hmm. If you're a Tribe fan, and uh, I, have a, I have a podcast called The Rosie Report that runs uh, most of the time during the week uh, after our games, just kind of recapping the game with some interviews and things like that. And you can get that uh, at Cleveland Indians Podcast, wherever you download. Uh, but that's about it. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. Awesome, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you have, hope to have you back on the program as soon as we can. Thanks, Jim. Anytime. Call anytime, guys. All right. Thank you. That was Jim Rosenhaus from Indians Radio. Uh, fantastic interview there. Um, now, 
the Indian series is going to happen this weekend. Um, obviously something that Orioles fans might be excited about considering the Orioles won the first game of that series. So, you know, uh, the Indians have a lot of talent. They're, they're certainly a very exciting team. And it was good to talk to Jim about, you know, uh, what this Indians team is shaping up to be. Yeah, good interview. I think we touched on a lot of good points there, and, and I'm certainly excited, like you said, for the rest of the series. The pitching matchup today, like we talked about, is fantastic. Aaron Savali versus John Means. I have both of them on one of my fan- – not to talk about fantasy baseball too much, but I have both of them on one of my teams, so I'm hoping for a little bit of a pitcher's duel, obviously, with the Orioles coming out on top. So uh, going to be a, gonna be a fun season the rest of the way, and, and thanks again to Jim for taking the time to be with us because that was – that was that was a really fun interview. Yeah, for sure. We we always like to to get someone who is playing, you know, a, a beat writer or radio person of the team the Orioles are playing that weekend because it's kind of an outside look. You know, the Orioles are a team that maybe not too many people really care about outside of Baltimore, unfortunately. So it's always good to see, you know, an outside look of uh, of what the Orioles are from another person's perspective. So we will have Stan the fan on the line here very soon. Um, I, I do want to touch on a few things about the Indians that I think are interesting. You, you look at Francisco Lindor. He was traded, obviously, and created kind of a whirlwind. I mean, I, I, I was actually here when the trade went down. I was uh, Paul Valley and I were sitting here, and I was, uh, this is amazing. I mean, you know, seeing him out of the American League, I was happy to. But he's now underperforming. You know, Lindor is not playing well for the Mets at all. You could argue Ahmed Rosario has played better than Lindor has this year. I mean, obviously, the, there's defensive things. There's a lot that goes into that. But they've played largely the same. Um, and are you surprised to see kind of the slide that Lindor has made since going to the Mets? Yeah, I am. And, you know, he signed a, a very long-term deal with them. And you know how New York media and fans are. They're already starting to call him a bust yeah. and, and, a, and a bad contract. And I'm sure some of them have thrown the name Chris Davis in there one way or the Uh-oh. other. But, yeah. you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a tough scene. It's a tough spot for him. And, and it's weird because, you know, I kind of it kind of reminds me of, of Jose Ramirez a couple years ago. He had a 162-game stretch over the course of a couple yeah. seasons where he was was bad. He was very, very bad. And now he's back to being above average at just about every offensive category. Exactly. He plays solid defense. He hits home runs. He steals bases. He hits for average. He gets on base. So I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if there's any type of connect, you know, that Indians connection with Landor and Ramirez being at the top of that lineup for so long. You know, maybe maybe some of that rubbed off on on Ramirez, but I want or on uh, on Lindor, but I wonder if he'll follow the same trajectory that Ramirez did. And, and get back on track and, and be back at the top of his game because he's one of the best shortstops in baseball he, when he's on. He's a lot of fun to watch, for sure. Um, we're going to get actually catch a break in a second here, but call three, C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. Every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via press boxes, Glenn Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Orioles prospect Taryn Vavra, Maryland baseball coach Rob Vaughn, Super Bowl champion Femi Adenabayo, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at pressboxonline.com. We're going to catch a break, and we'll have Stan Charles when we come back. Hey, this is Chris Rowland from Great Ace Memorabilia. And June 27th from 12 to 4, we want to invite you out to the first ever Tucker Fest for the Brigands Brigade Foundation. Come meet Justin Tucker. Listen to a free live concert from Joey Harkum and Dave Teeth. Jeremy Kahn will be in the 
Express Exterior Design Dunk Booth. We'll have food trucks from Jimmy's Famous Seafood, vendors, and a huge cornhole tournament. This is a free family fun event on Sunday, June 27th from 12 to 4 p.m. at Jerry's Toyota on Bella Road. For more information, go to GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's Great Eights with the number eight letter S. And remember, Great Eights Memorabilia, be great. It takes time to get rich, flavorful coffee beans from the lush mountain regions of Colombia and Brazil to Royal Farms. But less than a minute to get yourself a delicious hot cup of the finest and freshest coffee in the world. Because Royal Farms' new Swiss-made coffee machines grind those rich, flavorful coffee beans and brew them one magnificent cup at a time. It's why Royal Farms makes the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill is celebrating their 25th anniversary this month, featuring their 12-ounce Silver Anniversary New York Strip Steak, the Smoky Thigh Wings, a Double Bacon and Cheddar Burger, the Strip Steak Sandwich, Barbecue Chicken Bowl, and their Silver Anniversary Turtle Cheesecake. Toast to 25 more years with Glory Days Grill's Silver Anniversary IPA, brewed by Virginia-based brewery Devil's Backbone, and take home a commemorative glass. Celebrate by entering any of their three contests online, win a trip the devil's backbone brewing company free wings or lots of other great prizes enter online at glorydaysgrill.com slash 25th anniversary the 25th anniversary menu is available through june 20th come in for great food good sports and family fun if it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is Jake. K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, too dandy. He is Mr. Kyle Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at live casino and hotel they take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100 foot media wall 47 foot big screen 40 hd tvs extensive beer selection big eats in venue gaming bowling and more the perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers they're raising the sports bar at sports and social maryland come see for yourself Book your table at sportssocialmd.com. That's sportssocialmd.com. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to the Bat Round. On the line now for his weekly segment, we have Stan the Fan Charles. Before I can mute that, uh, Stan, how's it going this morning? 
Going well, going well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. Now, Ryan actually did the sounding off segment this morning instead of me uh, because okay. I was getting Jim Rosenhaus on the phone at the time. And Ryan okay. talked about the, the the Mike Elias thing, essentially. Everyone is mad at Mike Elias for not putting I – should, I should put this in air quotes – not putting a competitive team on the field. What is your take on that? Um, and, and if, Ryan, you kind of want to share your take again with Stan, uh, do that for sure. Yeah, all I really said was that, you know, part of, this is part of a rebuild. You know, I, I look back at the 2019 team, and aside from Trey Mancini, the bets I think of are VR, Alberto, Nunez, and Rio Ruiz. And all four of them are gone now. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were some fans who were up in arms when, when you know, when Alberto was DFA'd or when, when Renato Nunez was like, oh, you know, but, you know, how do you replace a guy who hits 300? How do you replace a guy who hits, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 30, maybe 35 home runs? But what, what fans, I think, failed to realize in that situation is that's pretty much all those two guys brought to the table. Yeah. Alberto was a single sitter against lefties, and Nunez yeah. was a power guy who couldn't play defense or get on base. And, you know, those kind of players are going to be placeholders in a rebuild. And, you know, I, I don't understand why fans are, are disappointed that, that he's letting go of guys who, you know, were okay for us but now are elsewhere and are, are even worse than they were when they were here. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't think. Nunez and, and Alberto are, are much of a loss. Now, the only part of this rebuild that I think that the fans have a right to be upset upset about, and, and it's hard to spend money when the difference in your judgment, and I'm talking about Mike Elias, is whether we win you know 61 games or 69 games, 72 games. I mean, that's not what ultimately Mike Elias is playing for. But again, I, I've talked about this both on this show and I wrote about it. When you have in your division one team that spends $100 million on pitching, another that spends $56 million on pitching, another that spends 50 and then the Tampa Bay Rays spend $27 million, yeah. and the Orioles spend $10 million on pitching, I don't think... And it was funny, I was talking about the retired uh, son writer, Peter Schmuck, the other night about this. He said, if if you just went out and bought three middle relievers, like at $3 million a piece, you know, and almost doubled that, you'd probably have five or six more wins, and I don't think people would be be up in arms about that. They'd be closer in more games uh, and I just think the pitching has been left uh, bereft of of quality quality arms. But I, I do have to say, out of the other side of my mouth, is that I think Chris Holder is doing a terrific job. Definitely. And to me, it's not just a coincidence that all of a sudden the, the pitching seems to have upticked a, a notch or two this week mm-hmm. with his return. I think he has a tremendous level of communication with his pitchers. They buy into him fully, and he's got a very dynamic personality. So I think he's uh, been a big, big plus over Doug Brocal, who I don't think was a, a you know a bad pitching coach. I just think Chris Holt is really 
he's maximizing a lot of what he can get out of these guys. I absolutely agree. And we're talking to Stan the Fan from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Stan, you do your weekly power rankings. And obviously the Orioles, when you did these, had still probably lost 14 straight at that point. I'm not sure if they had won by the time you did your power rankings. But where were the Orioles? Because the the Diamondbacks, obviously, they lost a lot straight in a row, too. So were the Orioles yeah. at 29 or 30 this week for you? The Orioles were, now remember, my week ends on Sunday, mm -hmm. so mine get released. So they were still in the midst of the 14-game losing streak. Okay. They yep. had lost 13 uh, in a row. They were 30. Arizona was 29. Okay. And Colorado was 28. Pittsburgh was 27. And Texas was 26. And so far this week, those teams are, Texas has gone 1-3. and three. Pittsburgh two and two, Colorado three and one, Arizona one and four, wow. and the Orioles three and one. So it's not hard to see that at least the Orioles will move up to twenty nine this week, and Arizona is looking very much like the holder of the two thousand twenty one or twenty two number one pick in the draft. Yeah, when we talk about that pick and, and what the Orioles are right now, um it, it looks like they could have that number one pick. And obviously Arizona might be the front runner at this point. Are you in, in the boat with what Glenn and I talked about the other day? Would it be better just to lose out right now and get that number one pick? Or are you in the boat of trying to win as many games as possible if it means your young players are doing well and you can get back to sort of playing five hundred ball, you know, in, in the, over the next few weeks. What which boat are you in? I don't think now first of all I want to remind everybody that that we're not getting the number one pick in this year's draft, Correct. no yep. matter number what five. we do. We're talking about twenty twenty two, a yep. year from now. Um I, I don't think once you have once you have started to make the the initial investments and you're starting to to put people in place, you can't control whether Ryan Mountcastle suddenly helps you win, gets red hot, and suddenly you have Mancini and him and Mullins all performing at a high level, you can't control whether you're going to win six games this month or right. 14 games this month. It's just, un to me, it's uncontrollable. What they've done with that pitching is probably ensured that no matter how good the offense is, the pitching's going to make it decidedly more on the side of them not succeeding a great deal. Right. And there were some moves made yesterday. Obviously, Hunter Harvey came off the injured list and pitched. Um, so first, I want to get your thoughts on where you are with Hunter Harvey. I know before you've been kind of uh, skeptical that he's ever going to be healthy and ever going to be a major piece for this team. And then number two, were you surprised by any of the other moves? Maybe the, D the Domingo Leyba uh, waiver claim or the, uh, the the DFA of Brandon Waddle. Where are you with those moves? Don't, I'm a little surprised from the Waddle thing because yeah. well, he came into one game. You picked him up. He came into one game. I don't think he was horrible. I can't. Right. I can't really remember. Uh, it just caught me off guard. You know, he was another left-hander, uh, which are, are sometimes hard to find. I don't know a thing about Lobby. What's it, how, what's his name? The guy that they picked up Domingo Leiba. Domingo Leiba. Yeah, Domingo Leiba. Okay. Yeah. Right. What position does he play? He is a middle infielder. Um, okay. Who, has, who was actually a pretty high-ranked prospect for about three years in the D-backs organization, but has never really okay. found it at the major league level yet. Okay. And he's still how old? Like twenty-four. He's twenty-five. So twenty-five. So he's it, like a Jemai 
Jones, you know. Essentially, yeah, maybe not as talented yeah. or, or not with as, as right. many tools. Um, but maybe a right. guy they, they might have just picked up because they literally need warm bodies at AAA. Anybody to play, especially when right. you have guys like Bannon on the injured list. Jamai Jones is still rehabbing, so they might have just okay. needed a guy, and and he had options. So I guess that was you know part okay. of, part of the move. But and, and where are you on Hunter Harvey as of now? Well, you know, I, I was really somewhat surprised that all they seemed to want to. To, to get Hunter Harvey to prove was that he could uh, pitch either more than one inning at a time. I forget whether what Brandon Hyde said or whether it was consecutive days. But I'm always amazed that the Orioles don't sort of view, and this dates back to Dan Duquette too, they don't seem to really care that much about the performance level. Uh, Hunter Harvey you know, had been out, lost a lot of time. And what I heard was his own run average is like five at, at Norfolk. That's that's not making me feel like, oh, great, he's healthy. Right. But he hasn't done enough at the major league level to me for, for me to want him up until he's proven that he's really on top of his game. So it wasn't all that surprising that he gave up a run in his one inning last night, you know. Yeah, I, I mean the guy has look. The guy has tremendous velocity. He does, uh, but but his 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 body of work is so scant at the major league level that I don't think he's proven beyond a doubt that he's ready to pitch at this level in any meaningful way. I would have liked to have seen three or four more performances where he shut down the opposition right. at Triple A. You know. So. Do you feel that he should be more of a long reliever for right now? Maybe, uh, obviously, I don't think you want to put him in the back end of the bullpen, the eighth or ninth, but is he kind of that long guy for you right now? Because he has pitched, you know, he was a starter originally, and he has pitched yep. some, at some length in some different levels of the organization. I, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting question, Zach, because my feeling is when you have a guy that's as talented as, as we think he is, okay, and he can pitch, and he only pitches an inning, and he can't pitch consecutive days, to me that lessens his value to you. So I'd almost think that he might be a guy, and I'm not saying they'll do this, but that I would consider more a two- or three-inning guy twice a week. I'd almost sort of piggyback him either before a Matt Harvey appearance or after a Matt Harvey appearance. You know, Because yeah. I think the Matt yeah. Harvey thing, it's all nice... And and I asked this of Brandon Hyde the other night. You know, Matt Harvey looked pretty damn good for three innings the other night. Yeah, don't you agree? Yeah, I, I thought he looked solid. Um, yeah, I, and I know that 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 might be that might be how he can best help your team. Maybe yeah. in a two or three inning opener role or long relief role. And I know him; he doesn't want to be viewed as a relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. So. You might have to really put the reins on him and have him as like a three-inning performer. You know, I think Matt Harvey is really missing the boat. If Matt Harvey wants to make a good living in Major League Baseball, okay, it's not going to be as a reestablished starter. It's going to be as a late-inning guy to me, uh, where I think Matt Harvey's swagger and his stuff one time through an order may really play well at the major league level. And that's the guy that might get a two year, 
five million dollar, uh, you know, a, a two year nine million dollar contract in a year from now if he would establish himself as somebody that could come out of the bullpen uh, a couple times, you know, three four times a week and and mow him down for three batters. I certainly agree with you on that, Stan. Now, I I do want to get back to uh, before we before we leave the conversation completely. I want to get back to Hunter Harvey yeah. for a second. Um, yeah. I, you know, you mentioned that his opportunities at the major league level have been pretty scarce. I think last night was his fifteenth major league inning pitched to this right. point, and he feels like a guy who's been in our bullpen off and on for several years now. And I kind right. of I kind of equate it to Dylan Bundy, who made his major league debut in two thousand twelve, didn't get his first career major league strikeout until twenty sixteen because yeah. he was never healthy and able. Able to right. pitch at the major league level, and, and of course we see Bundy end up traded to to the Angels, and he hasn't been great this year. But last year he was very very good. Do you think Hunter Harvey has any chance to follow a similar trajectory to that, or are you just out on Hunter at this point? I, I'm not out on him. I'm not. I'm just not excited by him. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. I yeah. mean, I, I I wouldn't say I want the Orioles to release Hunter Harvey. I just don't think that in your in your worldview of the Orioles, if you're Mike Elias, you can put a lot of eggs in that Hunter Harvey basket right. and just try and milk a former number one guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy. Yeah, and- you know, I feel I feel very similar to him as I do about Austin Hayes right now. Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to sort of just not be excited by him. Not I'm not saying the Orioles just should release Hunter Harvey and Austin Hayes tomorrow. They're too talented for that. Mm-hmm. I just think that I'm pumping the brakes fully on whether they can ever stay healthy enough to really be meaningful in your organization. I want to move on to the three wins the Orioles just picked up. Two against the Twins, one against the Indians. All now, against, by the way, all against they they the losing pitcher in the last three games against the <laughs> Orioles. Are all on my fantasy, fantasy team. team. Yep. <laughs> that is, I told that you. Is I told you yesterday, Zach, when we were chatting about this, that Mejia was on my team. Yep. And once he got out of the game, I said, "Hey, okay, we're, I'm not going to get the loss tonight." Um, Sandlin came in, who I just mm-hmm. picked up this week. Nick Sandlin, who I really like. I think he has a really interesting <laughs> delivery and trajectory. That you is know. unfortunate. Yeah, uh, but Brian Shaw. Is also on my yes. team, and he came. He came in, and sure enough, he became the losing pitcher. So, unless Shaw or Sandlin come in today, Brandon Hyde's on his own today. I don't believe Brian Shaw lost a game yet. So you pick him up, and then immediately comes in and loses that one last night. Unfortunately for your fantasy team there, but yeah. I, I was actually going to ask Jim Rosenhaus about. Brian Shaw and the rest of the Indians bullpen because it seems like this Indians bullpen is really dangerous. You have to think that if the Orioles can't provide John Means any run support tonight, especially off a guy like Aaron Savale, they're not going to win this game because the bullpen is so shut down with guys like Karen Chak and the rest of the great arms they have out there. They have, uh, and uh, you know, look, they they produce and have produced now for a number of years. They've got sort of an arms machine there. I mean, that kid yeah. Mejia last night mm-hmm. was very impressive to me. He was. Um, and and Bieber and Savelli and Plesak, I know, is on the I.L. Yep. right now. They, they really are, uh, you know, they've done a wonderful job developing uh, pitching. And, you know, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed here that two years from now we'll still be talking about how terrific Chris Holt is 
and how terrific the Orioles pitching is starting to be. Uh, and five years from now, we can say, hey, we sort of modeled ourselves after Tampa and Cleveland and started developing a lot of pitching because yeah. that really still is the name of the game. It absolutely is, and I think the Orioles are building what is going to be a pretty decent pitching rotation, hopefully down the line, and obviously the Indians are maybe a team to look to for that. Now, a guy who hit a home run last night, Ryan Malcastle, he's starting to swing the bat a little better. It looks to get back to what we think he was going to be and what he is you know, as a minor league player in his career. What have you seen from Malcastle specifically in May and then so far in June where he already has two home runs? Um. You know, what I've seen in Mountcastle this year were uh, up till recently were all the things that sort of were red flags to me in the minor leagues. You know, uh, I don't see players play a lot of minor league baseball. You know, I don't watch it uh, that much, uh, even though you can subscribe very cheaply to, um, I think it's MILB.com. I think you can buy the, the package for something like $12 a month or yeah, you can watch cheap. every single game. You know? Yeah, it's 12 a month or I think 39.99 for a full season. So for especially the full with season. The... it's really it is for somebody that's got the time to do it and really wants to branch out as an expert on minor league baseball. It really is a lot of fun. Especially I, with the state I never of the even knew I never knew it existed until Dave Johnson. I saw him one night watching his son Steve pitch at the minor leagues and he told me about it and then I did it but I just found I wasn't so up on when people were pitching and all this that I didn't use it that much um now I lost track of what the the question was Oh, I, I, I was actually trying to focus on something else right now because my video is actually frozen now. I apologize to everyone about that. Uh, but I was asking about Ryan Mountcastle and the, Oh, Mountcastle. Uh, yes. Okay, I apologize. Um, Mountcastle to me what I do is take a snapshot of numbers, you know, and I look at strikeouts versus walks and on base percentage. Mm -hmm. And what I like to, and I learned this a long time ago from the Orioles first, uh, numbers guy, a guy named Eddie Epstein, who's been out of baseball now for a while, which is sad because he was really brilliant. Um, but I looked at Mountcastle's numbers and they, they were alarming to me. And I, I thought they projected at the major league level where you could see seasons where he would strike out like 160, 170 times and walk less than 20 times. You know, mm -hmm. um, I saw none of that last year in the 35 or 40 games he played with the Orioles last year, but that's all I saw in April this year was a guy that was swinging at things out of the strike zone, taking the pitches that were hittable, uh, and it was it, it was a little scary, but you know Brandon Hyde was preaching patience with him and uh, found him his spots. He didn't bench him, you know. Having a young player with that talent and then suddenly not playing him at all is clearly the wrong move. But he picked his spots a little, and I see a guy that's um, benefited from the manager's patience and probably the skill of Don Long as a hitting coach. And he's finding his way now, and um, it looks like, you know, look, that, that bat is going to play. He's going right. to hit a lot of home runs in the major leagues. You would have to you figure just, sure. Yeah. You just want that, that the difference in him, if he could be a 340 on base guy, you know, 
uh, rather than a 315 or a 308 right. is huge. You know, remember, Mark Trumbo, if you look at his career numbers, is about a 308 or 310 on base percentage. Adam Jones is a 315, 318 on base percentage guy. But really good hitters are 340, 350, 360, you know. And some, you know, like you look at a Fernando Tatis, he's over 400. Right. You would have to assume, Ryan, though, is going to get going and be uh, back to the player we once expected him to be this year. Now, there's another guy I do want to talk about in Austin Wins. Um, I know you're not entirely happy with the catching situation. I don't think many of us at all are happy with the catching situation right now. What would you do if you're the Orioles? How would you fix this conundrum they're in right now? Because Chance Sisko isn't a good baseball player. Uh, Austin Wins is not a world beater, even if he's a decent defender. And Pedro Severino isn't really hitting, and he isn't playing good defense at all so what should be the plan for the Orioles until Adley Rutschman is here well you know luckily that that time between now and when Adley Rutschman comes up is getting shorter you know whether he makes a a cameo this September or not I can't project I think the club may feel it it would behoove him I I think he's going to stay a good while at Bowie because I think they want him to catch Hall and Rodriguez, it makes a lot of sense, and really get his feet under him offensively as well, right. so that when he goes to AAA, he's doing it on a confident level. Uh, but it would not surprise me if they moved him up. I think my AAA, by the way, and and Double A, aren't they? Wait a minute, I might have the the uh, classifications wrong. Aren't minor league baseball teams playing a little later this year because they started late? I, I want to say think they uh, are. I think they're playing into September now. Ryan, do you know the so, last day of the season? It might be like September twenty third. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, it's very different than yeah. usual. Usually, it ends like right around Labor Day. So, I think by August first, we could see Adley Rutschman at Triple A. Right, and then if Adley Rutschman has, uh, you know, looks like he belongs at Triple A and is hitting well. I think he at least we'd agree that he'd come into camp next year with a chance to make the team, right? Or failing that, that he's going to be ready in June or July next year to come up. Uh, that that's sort of the timetable, and that timetable would have been a year earlier had we not had the pandemic, right? You know, in other words, we'd probably be looking at right around now that Bradley Rutschman would have been ready to come to the major leagues. That's my opinion. Having said that, getting back to your real question, I would have probably, I probably would have broken the bank to get like Mike Zanino on a, like a two year contract and bring him in. So, so we get a little bit of offense and this year it's amazing. He's hit 12 home runs already this year, but he's a 200 hitter. Jeff Mathis and Jonathan LaCroix at their point, the points are in their career. They're probably 130 hitters, you know, right. 140 hitters. Well, you, you see Austin Hedges. He's a terrific defensive catcher, and he's batting he like about a 120 or something like that because Roberto Perez fractured his finger. Of course, he was on my fantasy team at $1. So. <laughs> uh, but having said that, LaCroix or Jeff Mathis or Kurt Suzuki would have been my wow. choice this year to spend like a million bucks on a really defensive, def- 
defensively a very good catcher. I would love to see what this pitching staff could be like right. with somebody that really could kind of control a game. And I said this the other day when I was asking Brandon Hyde a question. I said, for me, I always equate the relationship between a pitcher and a catcher as to a jockey and a racehorse. Mm-hmm. And on Triple A, on Triple uh, Crown Sunday, a uh, Saturday here with the Belmont Stakes today, it seems an apt comparison. Uh, and I don't think we have a good jockey when Chance Cisco or no. uh, Pedro Severino is riding the horse trying to maximize that performance. I think, if anything, they distract the pitcher by how often they drop the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think uh, it's it's a bad situation. And I think part of developing pitchers should be making sure that you have a good defensive catcher, which I, is why at the end of the day, I probably like Bobby Witt Jr. better, you know, but I understood that a catcher can be so valuable. Yes, for sure. I, I, I think if the Orioles hadn't gotten Adley Rutschman, we'd be looking at even a longer time before the Orioles would switch over to someone else, Pedro Severino. Yeah. They're obviously very high on him for some reason. But Stan, thank you very much today. We don't have too much time right. left at all. So thanks for coming on as usual. For Always your, a pleasure. Your weekly Talk to set. you next week. Sounds good. We'll see you at 1020 next week instead of 1050 right. as usual. Sounds good. Thanks to Stan the good. fan again. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that was Stan the Fan with his weekly segment. Hopefully, we'll be back to a regular time next week. Again, I mentioned it before, but my video is frozen. I'm not entirely sure why, but hopefully, we'll get that fixed here in the break. Uh, Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week, and just like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Gary chatted with TVG, Gabby Gaudette ahead of Belmont Stakes. Find that show under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Coming up Monday, Stan and Ross will catch up with former Oriole Jack Voigt. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com. We're going to catch a break, and when we come back, we will talk Orioles banter and payoff pitch around the league. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. Glory Days Grill is celebrating their 25th anniversary this month, featuring their 12-ounce silver anniversary New York strip steak, the smoky thigh wings, a double bacon and cheddar burger, the strip steak sandwich, barbecue chicken bowl, and their silver anniversary turtle cheesecake. Toast to 25 more years with Glory Days Grill's silver anniversary IPA, brewed by Virginia-based brewery Devil's Backbone, and take home a commemorative glass. Celebrate by entering any of their three contests online when a trip to Devil's Backbone Brewing Company, free wings, or lots of other great prizes. Enter online at glorydaysgrill.com slash 25th anniversary. The 25th anniversary menu is available through June 20th. Come in for great food, good sports, and family fun. 
For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. The journey begins on remote mountain farms and plantations in the lush tropical regions of countries like Colombia and Brazil, where the best coffee beans are grown. The beans are harvested by hand, carefully sorted, bagged, shipped, and finally roasted. And the journey ends as your cup of rich, flavorful Royal Farms coffee, the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, welcome back into the bat around here with Ryan Blake uh, as my co-host as Paul Valley is on vacation. We're here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. During the break, I was able to get the video unfrozen, so hopefully it looks that way for everyone. Um, now we're going to do the payoff pitch around the league. Ryan is going to give us the Saturday games, but first, last night, uh, the Nats and the Phillies last night. The Nats won 2-0. Max Scherzer picked, picked up his fifth win. Brad Hand picked up his tenth save on a night where Juan, a Juan Soto homer in the sixth was the eventual game winner. Uh, the Marlins and the Pirates went to battle. The Pirates handled the Marlins 9-2 on a 12-hit night where Key Brian Hayes launched his second homer of the season. The Red Sox and the Yankees, a classic rivalry, 5-2 Red Sox win. Nathan Evaldi picked up the win. Devers hit his 15th homer of the year, which is unbelievable, and had three RBIs. Uh, the the Jays, or the Astros and the Jays, uh, there was a 13-1 massacre. The Astros destroyed the Jays. They tallied 16 hits. Granke tossed a complete game uh, gem where he only gave up one hit, which was a solo shot to Randall Grichik. 
Uh, Dodgers and the Braves. Julio Urias approved to improve to eight and two as the Dodgers won nine to five. Ian Anderson he couldn't get out of the fifth inning and gave up four earned runs. The Rays and the Rangers. The Rangers knocked off the Rays five to four on another stellar night by Kyle Gibson where he threw five and a third shutout innings. The game-winning run came on a fifth-inning bomb by Joey Gallo. Uh, twins and the Royals. The Twins struggled to continue. Struggle, twins struggled to continued as they get destroyed 14 to five by KC. Matt Shoemaker couldn't get through the first inning. He only got one out and gave up eight earned in that game. Uh, the Tigers faced off against the White Sox. The White Sox walked it off nine to eight as Yermin Mercedes hit an, a walk-off single and they picked up their 35th win. Uh, Mercedes won it after Grandal had already blasted two homers for the White Sox in that game. The D-backs and the Brewers. The Brewers won it 5-1 to one as the D-backs continue their long struggle as Freddie Peralta carried a no-hitter into the eighth and finally had it broken up by Nick Ahmed. Uh, the Reds and the Cardinals. The Reds held on to beat the Cardinals 6-4, to four, even after the Cardinals scored three in the bottom of the ninth. Luis Castillo only won his second game after going six innings and only giving up one earned run. Uh, next, the Athletics and the Rockies. The Athletics had a big third inning to win 9-5 to five over the Rockies as John Gray struggled and gave up five earned runs over two and a third. The Mariners and the Angels. Shohei Otani struck out 10 over six innings and led the Angels to a 3-2 win, winning on a fourth-inning homer by Jose Rojas. The Cubs and the Giants. The Giants scored Scored six in the second inning as they win eight to five, and they were able to light up former Oriole Jake Arrieta. And finally, the Mets and the Padres. Snell struck out ten over seven shutout innings as the Padres won two nothing. The winning run coming on a first inning bomb by Manny Machado. What is on tap for you uh, or for us? On Saturday, Ryan. All right. This afternoon in Chicago, we've got Tariq Skubal, who's been bit by the home run ball for much of this year, young yeah. lefty for the Tigers, going up against Lucas Giolito. Also got off to a slow start this year, but he's now 5-4, and four, got his ERA below 4. He sits at 373. In St. Louis, Johan Oviedo will host uh, Tyler Malley's Reds. Malley uh, struggled on the road so far this year with an ERA upwards of 7. He's been great at home. He'll try to buck the trend this afternoon in St. Louis. In Toronto, north of the border, Jose Urquidy, young righty for the Houston Astros, has gotten off to a very good start this year. Just recently came back off the injured list and, and had a scoreless performance in his last outing. He will be uh, up against Ross Stripling of the Toronto Blue Jays, who is 1-3 with a 5-11 ERA. Not what we're accustomed to see from Stripling. No. Battle of lefties in Texas. It'll be Rich Hill of the Tampa Bay Rays uh, sitting at 4-2 and two with a 3-32 ERA. Uh, against Colby Allard, the young lefty who has a 3.38 ERA, so a very good uh, similar ERA pitching matchup there. I'm sure there are more numbers that are not as similar, but uh, I'm I'm looking at ERA, so it's going to be a fun matchup. In Philadelphia, the young righty Spencer Howard, who has gotten off to a rocky start to begin his major league career, he will square up against Joe Ross and the Washington Nationals with Juan Soto back off the IL, starting to heat up a little bit. In Pittsburgh, Chase DeYoung, who is zero and zero on the year with a 180 ERA. That's a big sample size. Yeah. <laughs> Going up against Trevor Rogers, lefty with the uh, Miami Marlins, who has gotten off to a fantastic start this yeah. season. Someone I certainly wish I could have scooped up in uh, one of my fantasy leagues at least. He has been uh, absolutely fantastic. In Kansas City, Jose Barrios coming off his last outing against the Orioles, in which he made it into the ninth inning but did not quite get out of it. He sits at five and two with a 3.36 ERA. And the host of the Kansas City Royals will be Mike Miner, 4-2, with a 4.65 ERA. In Milwaukee, it'll be Merrill Kelly of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who struggled a bit this year with an ERA upwards of 5, versus Brandon Woodruff, who is well within the mix of the Cy Young conversation. Mm -hmm. He's 4-2 with a 1.27 ERA. 
Perhaps my favorite pitching matchup of the day in San Francisco, former Oriole Cole Stewart will go up against Cy Young contender Kevin Gosman. Gosman coming off a Pitcher of the Month award in for the month of May in the National League. Yeah. He's 6 and 0 with a 140 ERA. Cole Stewart 1 and 0 with a 0.00 ERA. So you tell me who's having the better season. In Atlanta, it's Clayton Kershaw and Charlie Morton. What would have been a great pitching matchup about five years ago is still a pretty fantastic matchup as Kershaw is 7-4 and four with a 3.33 ERA, Morton 4-2 and two with a 4.26. That one should be fun down there in Atlanta. Red Sox-Yankees tonight. It's going to be a battle of youngsters in Eduardo Rodriguez and Jamison Tyon, both of whom have struggled to start the season, both of whom have ERAs above 5. We'll see who comes out on top in the AL East battle there. In Colorado, Cole Irvin will take on Coors Field as Kyle Freeland will start for the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies have uh, winners of three out of their last four, similar to the Orioles, and uh, and trying to avoid being in the mix for the, the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. In Anaheim, it'll be Yusei Kikuchi, who is 3-3 three three with a 3.88 ERA, versus former Oriole Alex Cobb, 3-2 with a 3.78 ERA. Should be a good pitching matchup there. And last but not least, Probably the best pitching matchup of the day. It's Jacob DeGrom back from the injured list after mowing down the Springfield Cardinals. I believe it was Springfield. He's 4-2 and two with an ERA under 1 mm, no. against Joe Musgrove, who's coming off of a no-hitter earlier this season, the first in Padres history. He's 4-4 four and four with an ERA just over 2. That should be a great pitching matchup that game tonight at 10-10 p.m., Jacob DeGrom versus Fernando Tatis Jr. That's a good way to cap off the night. Yeah, it sure is. Um, thanks for that, Ryan. Go watch any of those games if you can't watch the Orioles game tonight. Uh, we have we have a quick Orioles banter to get through because we do have to get Rich Dubroff on the line at 11.35. But real quick, um, Elias. A lot of people are talking about Mike Elias. Many people are upset. Many people don't believe he's done the best job he can to put a competitive and good team on the field. While that may be true, Mike Elias is not trying to maximize wins, and he never said he was going to try to maximize wins. You've already kind of stated your case on it, but I just want to talk about where I am on it because I haven't really said too much yet. Elias was hired for a, re- for a reason. He was hired to rebuild the team. He was never told that by 2021 you have to be competitive, you have to be anywhere, because he knew it was going to take a long process. This was going to be a three-year thing at very, very least, and obviously that got way delayed by the pandemic. It's now going to be maybe a five-year thing, a six-year thing. That's what Michael Elias was hired for. He was hired to build an international uh, pipeline from the ground up, which means academies in the Dominican, academies in Cuba, an entire international scouting presence that takes a lot. A whole new scouting presence across the entire draft because we know the scouting, you know, for for the Orioles drafts in the past haven't been the best. They have they've missed on a, quite a lot of guys uh, in the past outside of like the Dia Hall and Grayson Rodriguez picks uh, late there, but they also picked guys like Cody Sedlock in 2016. So uh, you look at Mike Elias's job and what he was tasked with. He was tasked from taking a bottom five farm system to a top five, and he's done that so far. He's built out an international presence. They've spent money, maybe not on free agents. But they've spent money where it may matter more for these guys, like the international, uh, you know, the international academy they put down in the billion-dollar international academy. I should mention, Mike Elias has done literally everything that was asked of him, everything he was hired for. I said it on Glenn's show yesterday, but it's like telling someone that they're not doing their job when they are literally doing everything they were hired for. Like you cannot criticize Mike Elias for what he was hired to do. 
this is this is what he was hired to do. Um, you can blame Dan Duquette for for some bad 2018 trades that didn't set this team up so well. You know, Usniel Diaz, Dean Kramer. You know, they may be impact players, but outside of that, you look at maybe Bruce Zimmerman being something. Uh, Cody Carroll's a mess. We talked about this week on last. Or we talked about this on last week's show. But you can blame Dan Duquette all you want. You can blame Peter Angelos all you want. All of this hate that is misdirected at Michael Elias right now really just it, it needs to stop. This is what the guy was hired for, and he's done his job to a T. Um, you may not like where the Orioles are going, but if you liked it three years ago in 2019, you should like it now because there's nothing that's changed. And the Orioles have done everything they should have done to rebuild this farm system and to get it back to where it can be a competitive and sustainable uh, pipeline for the future for the Orioles. And that's what Michael Elias has done. Now, you look at Brandon Hyde, too. There's a lot of criticism he's gotten. Can we just look at the you know what he's been given, right? Like Brandon Hyde has been given nothing. He's he's been given a a horrible team. I mean, there is every every team Brandon Hyde has gotten from 2019 to 2021 have all been very very bad teams, and they will continue to be bad until these guys start coming up through the pipeline that Mike Elias has built. Brandon Hyde is again not to blame here. You know, it, he's just part of the process, and he's done everything he can while making some questionable pitching decisions. I'll give you that, but. A lot of this hate that I see towards the Orioles is just a lack of patience, number one, from people. And then number two, it's just not understanding and, and not waiting on why and looking at the bigger picture of, of why this is happening. Yeah, I mean, I, you mentioned, I'm not sure it's a lot of hate necessarily going toward Elias. I yeah, think it's just maybe, a lot of opinions that aren't necessarily based in fact. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that this is exactly what he was hired to do. And when, when he was brought aboard at the end of the 2018 season, the, the, the basic infrastructure of the organization was in, in, such, a, in such bad shape. It right. was so far behind the rest of the league. It's, it was never going to be a quick process. And when you're, when you're trying to build a sustainable, successful future, that's right. the whole point. Right. If Elias wanted to just put out a good major league team, he would have done it by now. Sure. He could do it. Sure. He's trying to build something that'll be rooted in long-term success, that'll give the Orioles an opportunity to compete for the next decade. And that's exactly what he's done so far. Right. And now, a lot still has to go right for this to work out. Yeah, it's not a given. It's certainly not a given. But... I am. I've. I've. I grew up with the the dark years Orioles. Mm-hmm. I don't remember '97. Mm-hmm. I I started. You know, '99 probably is when I started comprehending what was going on. And the yeah. Orioles didn't make the playoffs till 2012. All right. You and I have been through a lot with this team. Yeah. This is the most optimistic I've ever been about the future of the Orioles, and it's not particularly close. This is the first. Right. And you can you can say the Orioles have tried to rebuild before. But they not haven't really, tried to do like it this. like this. Not like they this. have not. Right. They've never made an effort to do it right. And I think a lot of that has to do with with Peter Angelos no longer making baseball decisions. His sons have taken over, and they've given Mike Elias free reign to do what he wants. And so far, I think we're on the right track. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it as we're on the right track. It's been five years of bad baseball right now. It's been five years, and we are the most optimistic maybe we've ever been. And that's saying something. That's because we know we're looking at the bigger picture of what Mike Elias has done and what Kobe Perez and what Sig Dell and all these guys in this organization have done so far – if you expected the Orioles to be competitive this year, you were kidding yourself. I mean, you were you were simply lying to yourself and telling yourself that this team was going to be anywhere near good. We knew it wasn't. They lost 14 straight. That's not entirely surprising because this team is made up of, you know, Matt Harvey's and and guys who are not very good baseball players. So it's it shouldn't surprise anyone. And that's where we are with the Orioles right now. So people need to to direct the the anger 
about this team somewhere else. Maybe direct it to why the Orioles didn't, you know, come back in 2015 and sign Nelson Cruz and sign Nick Markakis and try to make a run in 2015 and try to make the playoffs. They didn't. That's what you should be directing your anger at. Not that the Orioles are bad in 2021 because everyone knew they were going to be bad in 2021. We we had hoped they may have won, you know, 70 games. Obviously, that's not going to happen. They may win 55, but still, this is this is the plan. Look down at the minors. Look what's going on. Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Hudson Haskin. The list goes on of guys that are tearing the cover off the ball. You look at the, the pitching side of things. Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. That's the future. That's what you've got to keep your eye on. Don't look at the Major League product and say, Mike Elias isn't doing his job. Now, I want to get your opinion on Brandon Hyde while I get uh, Rich Dubroff on the line here for a second. Because, I, again, I feel the anger towards Brandon Hyde is, is misdirected. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on it before. He, look at the hand he was dealt. He, he's dealing with a team that is is simply not good. I mean, the team that's fighting us for the worst record in baseball right now, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they have a talented roster. Brandon Hyde has done more with less. He's he's put together what has been, you know, obviously a disappointing year, but he's done what he's had to do. And you can make arguments that occasionally he'll pull a pitcher too early or he'll go to the wrong arm in the bullpen. But when your options are as limited as they are when when you're dealt the hand that Brandon Hyde has been dealt, there's not too much you can do. So is he the guy long term? We don't know. I don't think we'll know right. that for a while. But you know, as of now, I th- I think he's doing just fine with with what he has to work with. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I, I think Brandon Hyde has as is doing what he can with the team he's been given. And now we're welcoming onto the show Rich Dubroff uh, from BaltimoreBaseball.com. Rich, welcome to the show today. All right, thanks for having me, Zach. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you giving us some time this morning. Um, where do you stand on the whole Mike Elias debate? Where do you stand on the fact that Mike Elias has, you know, not given the major league product enough attention? He's not given, he's not put a great enough product on on the field. Do you do you agree with the, the people who are angry about that, or do you still look at it as more of a big picture thing? Well, um, I look at it as I look at it as you know an incomplete uh, palette, right? For uh, for Mike Elias, I think that. You know, Elias can be judged after, you know, after it's apparent what he's done. Right. And we're, you know, you're still, you know, relatively early, uh, not even two and a half seasons into into this. And anyone who thought that they were going to turn it around by now, well, that was, you know, that that was kind of naive. But my point is... You know, when people say, well, he should be putting a better major league product, what what would you like what would you have liked him to do? Exactly. Let's say in the off season, um, that he would have gone instead of signing Felix Hernandez and Wade LeBlanc and Matt Harvey, mm-hmm. that he went a half step up and signed Rick Porcello and Cole Hamels to you know, also excellent pitchers in the past who went unsigned. Would that have been? Would there have been that much of a difference in the ball club's performance, even if they had agreed to come? Right. You might get and two how more much wins. Would it, uh, how much would it have cost? Right. Um, and also, I think a lot of the problem is that two positions, second base and third base, they're sort of out. They're underperforming what they did, you know, last year. If you look at Michael Franco mm-hmm. and you look at his record, well, you know, 
his numbers are far below where they were last year and other years. And if you look, and you know, and he was—he's sort of the kind of free agent I think that people are talking about. Right. I mean, he's not old, and no. he's got—you know—he's got, you know, he's got a, a decent major league record. And Pat Zaleka, who's now on bereavement list, well, look at his numbers last year. Right now, we're um, fifty-six games in. Mm-hmm. Right? Is it fifty-six or fifty-seven? Fifty-seven games in. Well, that's almost what they played last year. You look at Belake's numbers through that time last year, and look at him this year. So, if Belake and Franco had been, you know, performing to what they did last year, then I don't know. Other than catching, I don't know what you know people would be complaining about. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I think that Mike Elias is still focused on that bigger picture. He's focused on the minor leagues, what he can do there instead of signing a, a free agent that might give you five more wins. It just doesn't really make sense. I, I think all of this anger is so misdirected. And then for Brandon Hyde, I want to ask you the same question. Do you think a lot of the, the anger towards him and the job he's done and, and the Orioles losing 14 straight, do you also think that's kind of misdirected anger? Well, it's natural. What else are they going to, sure, sure. you know, who else are, who, who else are they going to blame? Um, if you look at, you know, if you look at the losses of the 14 losses, seven of them were by one run or two runs. Right. So if they had, hit, if they had hit a little bit, which they didn't, you know, in a lot of those games where they owe for 24 in the, this, the four game series in Chicago, yeah. you know, if they'd won a few of those games, then we wouldn't have been talking about a 14 game losing streak. And, but in fact, you know, even though they've won now three in a row, you know, they're still five and 21 since the no hitter. Yeah. Which is awful, know, <laughs> which is awful. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a lot less time for a season to go bad than it takes for a season to go well. Absolutely. And, yeah. and would you say with this team, you know, I think a lot of people expected this team to probably win anywhere from 60 to 70 games. That was the projections I mostly saw. But do you think this team should be better than where they're at right now? Do you think, you know, we're looking at probably 45, 55 wins somewhere in that area. Do you think this team should have been Naturally better? Actually, you're not. Right. Okay. Uh, I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> right now, they have, right now, their winning percentage would be um, 351, which okay. translates to 57 and 105. Okay, it's not too bad. Which is not, you know, I, I mean, after the 14, when the, you hit 14 games, when you got to 14 games, then you were at 51 and 111. Mm-hmm. But, okay, I thought that the team would win, you know, would, actually would lose in the 95, 97, 98 range. Somewhere around there, and they still may. You know, right, it's not right. far off from where they, they, they are. They could thought, start playing better, sure. And I thought seventy wins was about as well as they could have done if everything went right. Right. So, uh, you know, again, I, I don't think you know people expect. Well, last year they were twenty-five and thirty-five, mm-hmm. and they were trending down when the season ended, right. You know, they were close to five, they were close to 500 at 40 games. I think they were, you know, yeah, I think they were 19 and 21. They were playing very competitive for sure. Yeah. And then they ended up, 
you know, losing 14, I think it was 14 of the last 20. And that's, a, again, we're, we're almost at that 60 game range, but it was, tr- it was trending down. What people saw that gave them optimism and correctly was that, you know, they saw Aiken and Kramer uh, pitch well. Right. And even though they didn't, may, may not have won the games, they saw that they, you know, they saw that they pitched well. And Austin Hayes played well. And yep. Mountcastle played well. And now here, you know, Kramer has, has had his troubles this yeah. year. And Aiken is finally, uh, you know, fin- finally, you know, getting settled. Uh, Mountcastle hasn't, you know, ha- <clears throat> hasn't hit the way he should. And Hayes has been hurt. Right. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I think it's it's fair to say that fifty seven wins is is where they could they could realistically get to. And like you said, they they were definitely trending down at the end of last season. Now we're talking to Rich Dubroff from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The fans are kind of desperate, Rich, to see more prospects right now. They they want to see guys take the place of a guy like a Pat Valeka or a, or a Ramon Urias. They want to see the younger guys come up. And, and make their mark. Obviously, Jemai Jones is one of them, who is now rehabbing in Aberdeen. Do we know the status of Jones and, and when he's going to be back in Norfolk? And then when would your prediction be that Jemai Jones could be in Baltimore? Oh, I think maybe in a month. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if he, let's say he does a week's worth of rehabs, plays two or three weeks in the games, you know, July, in the July 1st area, if everything goes okay. I mean, I, I, I would think uh, that you know, but you know, when they say they want to see, the funny thing is, they they say they want to see more prospects. Well, they have they've seen Aiken and they've seen Kramer. Yep. And they've seen a little bit of Zach Lothar, and they've seen Zimmerman. Well, this is what you get. And I think I said that the last time I was on with you guys. Yeah, I you know that's fair. You know that people want to see the prospects. Well, what they're doing in seeing the prospects is there is there. They're sacrificing wins. They're assuming, fans assume that, okay, let's take Matt Harvey and Jorge Lopez out of the rotation. Right. Well, if you take them out of the rotation, it doesn't guarantee it's going to get better. Right. You know, but yes, you need to see what all these young guys can do. And you will over the course of the year. I mean, the season, you know, the season still has more than 100 games to play. Right. They've already used 39 guys. They're going to use, you know, they're going to use a lot more, including guys who aren't currently here right now, who are probably sure. who are not in the organization right now. Well, you know, it, who they'll who the, who they'll pick up. So, you know, in terms of prospects, it's pretty limited right now. I mean, you you have Aiken, and you know, you have Aiken, and you have Zimmerman. I'm sure Kramer will be back soon. Uh, and, you know, who, I mean, who else do they want? You smell Diaz? Well, Diaz has been hurt. You know, Diaz hasn't played in almost a month. I was going to ask you actually next, Rich, do, have we heard an update on you smell Diaz? Do we know where he is in his, in his rehab process? No. Um, so I don't, you know, until we start seeing him. And, and I thought they didn't, at first, they didn't think the, the um, injury was serious. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. We don't hear much. Uh, we don't hear a whole lot about what's going on, you know, with minor league injuries. Got it. Uh, but you know, Diaz, we were told was not, you know, was not terrible, was not terribly serious. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's frustrating for them because they wanted to take a look at him. 
Right. They'd love to, t- you know, for sure. Uh, they'd love to take a look at them by, you know, June. Or, uh, if all things went well by, you know, June or July, they wanted to see what, uh, you know, what Diaz has. And you know, yeah, remember right. at the beginning. Remember, remember at the beginning of the year, people talked about, well, when they're going to find all this? Pl- where are they going to find the playing time for the outfielders? Well, you know, that hasn't turned out to be much of a problem, has it? Worked itself out very quickly, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, and, and not for the better, you know, and not for the better. Right, not for the better. Um, and you look at a guy like Tyler Nevin, who came up, hit a double in his first major league at bat. Seems like a guy maybe able to give a spark to the Orioles' offense a little bit. He seems like a bat-first guy and can also play that outfield spot, the corner outfield spots. Um, do you think Tyler Nevin will get more of a chance soon? And what did you like from him when he came up in his, in his first few at-bats? Well, I hardly really saw, you know, I, I, I don't like to, I never even got to saw, see him in person. He was, he, he played on the road and, uh, got five, you know, got five at bats. So, uh, and right. he was only here, he was only here cause he was on the 40 man roster and both Mount Castle and Mancini were, had been hit by pitches and were unavailable for, uh, uh, for a few days. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll come back, though it's going to be hard. In a lot of ways, it's going to be hard to get extended looks at a lot of these people because, you know, one thing that people haven't talked about is that in September, when you used to have a a 40-man, you know, roster limit, now it's only going to be 28. So you're only going to be able to call up two people in September. And you're going to have to be as creative in juggling your rosters in September as you were in the other months. So I can't. You can't just say, "Oh yeah, both well, Diaz will be up, and Nevin will be, and Nevin will be up, and Bauman, and Lothar, and Alexander Wells." Right. You know, uh, they, I mean, they they all may be because of uh, injuries or uh, or poor performance by other people. But, you know, you're going to see roster maneuvers in September that you've never seen before. Sure, yeah. Rich, Ryan here. Uh, you know, I, I just want to talk a little bit about, I, I feel like the expectation of the fan base, it's just, they're just kind of getting impatient. You know, we there's, they're paying more attention to the minor leagues this year than we ever have before, largely due to the fact that there's just so much talent down there, and it's finally good talent for the first time in a couple decades. Um, and I, I think fans are just kind of itching to see those guys make that next step. But like you said, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of space right now and, and not a lot of guys who are really, really knocking on the door. You know, we saw Yusniel Diaz in spring training. He, he hit very well. And people were ready to say, all right, who's he booting out of the outfield? It's Yusniel Diaz time. And these fans fail to realize that there are going to be growing pains with these guys. You mentioned all these young pitchers. You mentioned Ryan Mountcastle, guys who came up and performed well off the bat. But they're in a little bit of a sophomore slump at this point, and I think fans are just are running out of patience, and they just they just can't handle that. Well, that's the way, that's the way society is now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people yeah. want people people want um, instant, uh, you know, instant results. And I think it was kind of miraculous that people didn't go crazy in 2019. You yeah. know, when they yeah. were, you know, when they were when they were so bad, there were enough people who who said, uh, you know, let him play. I mean, I remember I heard from lots and lots of readers and they'd say, well, I don't care how they play as long as they, uh, if they lose, as long as they lose play in the right way, which is one of the biggest fallacies ever because bad players 
don't have good fun, don't play well fundamentally. Right. You know, it's it's pretty rare that you get you know guys who hit two ten that also are you know great fundamental players and play baseball the right way. Um, there's a reason that they uh, you know that they're graded like that. So that, that was that was one of the great you know that was another great misnomer. And you know, I don't know if you guys remember back this far, but. In you know, in like 2009 and 2010 and into 2011, sure. the Orioles' general manager was was a really skilled guy named Andy McPhail. Yep, Andy McPhail. And people, and and you know, Twitter was just getting Twitter was just getting started then, and uh, people weren't as uh, as active on, on social media then as they were as they are now. But they would call him Andy McPhail, F-A-I-L. <laughs> I and remember it well. McPhail, and McPhail was putting together. It was didn't listen to this garbage and and put together the put together the ball club. And then you know his contract ran out. He chose not to renew it. And Dan Duquette came in and they won. Right. And you know it may take until 2023. Uh, and I know, you know, and yeah, I know fans are disheartened and they're not going, you know, they're not going to the ballpark. Um, and you know, and I've written and talked to people ad nauseum about the other reasons why besides just, you know, besides just losing that people don't go to the games. Sure. But I, I think that, you know, you can't. You can't necessarily listen. What do they say in football? If you listen to the fans long enough, you'll end up being one of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that. you know, you have to do, you know, you have to do what you think is right. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to blindly say, oh, Elias is doing everything the right way. I, right. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of my job to analyze, to analyze what he's doing. And then after, you know, after it's clear, after for you know another year or two, I think it'll be clear whether it's working or on its way to working or didn't work, and then right. uh, you know, and, and then you could you could say why. But for me, just to say, oh yeah, that's a bad move. Like okay, uh, Jose Iglesias. Everybody went crazy when they traded Iglesias. And I liked Iglesias. Well, he's on the he's on the injured list right now with the same injury that he had last year. Yep. The mm-hmm. hamstring, and Freddie Galvis is playing. You know, he's playing okay. And before that, when the Orioles had Jonathan VR and they traded him uh, to Miami because his his salary is going to be too high, and they said, "Oh, how are we going to replace VR?" Well, they replaced him with Iglesias. Yeah. Um, you know, so some of the move. I mean, I, I mean, in retrospect, even though he's not having a great year, uh, maybe Hanser Alberto would have been better you know it would have been better to keep him but they let Nunez go and Nunez you know and and Nunez uh flamed out in Detroit uh and you know you look at the numbers of Dylan Bundy and and Alex Cobb and they haven't been uh you know they haven't been terribly great with the Angels so right I, I don't know what uh I don't know what there is to complain about other than you know other than yeah, I, w- I want them to go get uh, you know go get some great player as a free agent. You know uh, they're not going to spend money to you know they're not not going to spend money to 
to get a uh, a stud starting pitcher. Um, you know, the only way you get a stud starting pitcher to come to a team in free agency is to wildly overpay them, and that, that's what got the Orioles into into this fix to begin with. I think you're always going to find, no matter what GM the Orioles have or what management they have, that people are going to be upset about the moves they make because that's just all natural, I guess. But they will be more upset if the Orioles trade, you know, John Means, Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, one of the the stars of the team there. Have you heard anything about the Orioles having preliminary talks before July, before the deadline, about trading any of these three? Well, I know that they've, you know, they'll certainly listen to anything. Yeah. And I think that there were. You know, there were teams that were eager, especially with Santander. Um, I, you know, if you want to break, if you want me to break down the, you know, the trade market for each of them, I can. Um, but, you know, I, I would say Santander would be the, the likeliest to be, uh, you know, to be moved. Uh, and means would be the least likely. Right. Uh, Mancini, uh, you know, I would hope in this case, that they actually listen to the fans a little bit, yeah. Because he's a very, po- you know, he's a very popular player. He's a really good player. He has, you know, been courageous and done a very, very good thing, you know, in helping other people and being, you know, a great. I mean, he's a great role model by not talking about being a great role model. You know, he goes out there and just, you know, he goes out there and does it when people have asked him tirelessly for details about, you know, his recovery. He's talked, you know, he's talked about it. He's talked about it, you know, to death. Right. And, you know, and younger players and older players can learn a lot by watching someone who did something this wonderful. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it would bother me. It would bother me if they traded him. Um, and let's let, let me look clinically at it. I don't think they could get that much for him because you know his position, first base, DH. The, the, you know the, those are you know those are sort of easy positions to easier positions to fill. Sure. Um, Santander is a good right fielder, and so that's yeah, it's different. And you know. I mean, what would Trey bring, what would Trey bring back? And I don't right. think that they could get. I think the value of keeping Mancini, both physically and psychologically, is much greater than uh, than the value of trading him. And as for means, I would agree. It's, it's absurdly early to think about trading him. Okay, he has three years. Someone would have. Someone would have to give you an unbelievable package. I mean, sure. the, the greatest prospects going, because this guy is now one of the, you know, the better starting pitchers in baseball. And you could look for years and not find you know, a, a better starting pitching prospect in your organization. When was the last time the Orioles had developed a starting pitcher that was, you know, that was this good potentially. They simply have so, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably not in your, you know, in the lifetime of you guys. But uh, me, you know, the means putting means and putting uh, DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez and maybe some of these other guys in a rotation 
you know, maybe, you know, as soon as sometime next year, well, that may be, that may, that may help turn things around and that's what you want to do. So I would say, you know, I, I would be pretty, pretty surprised if they traded John Means. I would be disappointed, but not surprised if they traded Mancini and I would expect them to trade Santander. Got it. Well, thank you very much, Rich, as usual, for coming on our show. We always appreciate you coming on for us and uh, giving us our, our weekly dose of Orioles knowledge. So very much appreciate that, and you have a, uh, a great rest of your weekend. Thanks, Rich. Okay, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, that was Rich Dubroff from BaltimoreBaseball.com. Uh, Orioles beat writer, always comes on, always a, a very nice guy to talk to, always knows a ton about Orioles baseball. Um, I think a lot, he, he's right about Mancini for sure. I think a lot of people are going to be upset if he's traded. He just means so much to the city, means so much to the community. It's going to be, you know, obviously not a, not a very good fan reaction, but, you know, you, I think we have to prepare ourselves for that day if it were to come. Uh, now, are you a pro wrestling fan? As We have a great weekly podcast for you. As Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster, Brandon Linton, and former Maryland football player turned NXT star AJ Francis host Jobbing Out. They break down the latest in WWE, AEW, and more with an array of tremendous guests. On this week's show, their guys recap Double or Nothing and caught up with former WWE star Matt Cardona, who you might remember as Zack Ryder. Click on the Jobbing Out logo at pressboxonline.com radio or search Jobbing Out wherever you find podcasts. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. All right, when we, we're going to get Paul Valley on the line, and when we come back, we will have Take to Rake, and we'll wrap up the rest of this show. Sports and Social Maryland is bringing the ultimate fan experience to you at Live Casino and Hotel. They take sports viewing to the next level with a massive 100-foot media wall, 47-foot big screen, 40 HD TVs, extensive beer selection, big eats, in-venue gaming, bowling, and more. The perfect destination for sports enthusiasts and fun seekers. They're raising the sports bar at Sports and Social Maryland. Come see for yourself. Book your table at sportssocialmd.com. That's sportssocialmd.com. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Hey, this is Chris Rowland from Great Ace Memorabilia. And June 27th from 12 to 4, we want to invite you out to the first ever Tucker Fest for the Brigands Brigade Foundation. Come meet Justin Tucker. Listen to a free live concert from Joey Harkham and Dave Teeth. Jeremy Kahn will be in the Express Exterior Design Dunk Booth. We'll have food trucks from Jimmy's Famous Seafood, vendors, and a huge cornhole tournament. This is a free family fun event on Sunday, June 27th from 12 to 4 p.m. at Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road. For more information, go to GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's Great Eights with the number eight letter S. And remember, Great Eights Memorabilia, be great. 
C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. This is how you get a premium cup of coffee. Better and faster than the drip, drip, drip method. And way better than a large urn of lukewarm coffee made who knows when. At Royal Farms, our new Swiss-made coffee machines grind fresh premium beans on the spot and then brew them one cup at a time for the freshest, most flavorful cup of premium coffee you can buy. This is Royal Farms Coffee. It's better because it's the freshest coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles top Orioles pitcher John Means and the role new pitching coach Chris Holt is taken with Means and the entire organization. Inside, Matt Kremnitzer reflects on Nick Markakis's career, and Bo Smolka looks at what to expect from the Ravens' 2020 draft class in their second season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the Bat Around at Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Great Eights memorabilia has so many great events coming up, including private signings with Joe Flacco, Anquan Bolden, and Jonathan Ogden. Coming June 27th, the inaugural Tucker Fest at Jerry's, Jerry's Toyota, where you can meet Justin Tucker. Plus, live music from Joey Harcum and Dave Teif during the day. A cornhole tournament, dunk tank, and more. And on July 25th, the return to training camp party and crab feast featuring Tyus Bowser at Jimmy's Seafood. Find out about all of these events and get your tickets right now by going to greateightsmemorabilia.com. That's the number eight, greateightsmemorabilia.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles top Orioles pitcher John Means and the role new pitching coach Chris Holt has taken with Means and the entire organization. Inside, Matt Kremnitzer reflects on Nick Markakis's career, and Bo Smolka looks at what to expect from the Ravens' 2020 draft class in their second season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. 
And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Do we have Paul on the line? Are we still... We, we are working on getting Paul on the line. Hopefully this happens soon. I, I, I've called Paul a few times. Hopefully he answers. We're trying to get him on for Take the Rake uh, so we can do our, our, our weekly Take the Rake segment and Paul can give us uh, his pick for the week. But I don't know if that's going to happen right now. We're just going have to have to keep calling him and try. Uh, Ryan, do you want to expand upon the Brandon Hyde conversation a little bit more? We didn't quite get to finish all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting situation for sure because he's kind of thrust into this spot where he's dealing with not a whole lot of talent and the fans expect wins, and that simply hasn't happened. And you can, you know, I've, I've seen arguments on, on Twitter and on social media that, you know, maybe you bring in someone with major league experience. Well, that's fine. Brandon Hyde won a World Series with the Chicago Cubs, but what is, what is you know, what do I care about that? You know, Hyde, Hyde has been thrust into a position that is nearly impossible to succeed in. And that's that's really what the bottom line is. And like I mentioned before, is he the guy long term? Is he going to be the manager of the next competitive Orioles team? We don't know. When he was hired, we weren't really sure if it was going to be as a placeholder or as the next guy. He there's a there's a good chance he's just a placeholder and he'll be gone in a couple years when it's time for these guys to come through. But he's been touted as a player development guru, and that's the kind of guy you want managing the managing the major league team, especially when it's a lot of young guys who are coming up and trying to make their way through the system. So. You know, for all this all this discourse that, you know, oh, Hyde needs to go, the Orioles have lost 14 in a row, They're, you know, the manager's got to be held accountable. All right, well, who do you bring in then? Well, like, well, what's, what's the backup plan? Who is going to win this team more games? I, I can't imagine there is someone who is going to do a better job because they're, belt, they're dealt a terrible hand and they don't have anything to work with. They're, you can say, oh, bring in, you know, a veteran, but how's, there's, he's not going to do anything better. Right. It's it's a it's a tough situation for sure and and there's not much Hyde can do about it. Now, if and here's the thing, in baseball, the manager generally is held accountable for these kind of things. But Hyde's been around for for this is his second full season. I mean, yeah. I I I don't know, I don't know what you want from a guy when when the general manager has come out and said he he basically told us at the beginning of the season we're not trying to win. Right. We're trying to cut costs at the major league level and right. build up the farm. So that's that puts the major league manager in a position where he's got to do the best he can with the resources that he has, and I think he's doing fine. Sure, I I think he's done. Look, Brandon Hyde, Mike Elias, you you can argue that neither of them have been perfect because obviously no one's perfect. No manager, no GM, they're not going to be perfect. Obviously, you look at you know Mike Elias letting you know Zach Pop go. There are some questionable decisions that Brandon Hyde has made in some you know late innings of ball games where he takes out the pitcher, whatever it is. They're not. None of them are going to be perfect, but you can't really put a manager in that's going to do a better job because no one is going to be able to do a better job. And, and what do you expect with a new manager? What do you expect? You put Freddie Gonzalez in there right now, which a lot of people are calling for. Freddie's a good guy, good manager, I'm sure. He, he managed the Marlins a while back, and I, I believe the Braves, if, if unless I'm wrong on that. Yeah. Um, where's Freddie going to take this team? You know, tell tell me how. Give me a good reason that Freddie is going to win more games for this Orioles team than Brandon Hyde. There just isn't one. There there really isn't a legitimate reason to make a change at manager right now. 
Yeah, I mean, Fangraphs gave the Orioles a 0.0% chance to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. Clearly they were right, unfortunately. Oh, well, yeah, no, I, and, and people were angry about that. I'm like, look at the roster and tell us, tell me that yeah. we have a better chance, uh, uh, tell me that we have any chance at all to make the playoffs. You can't. I came on the and show and I, I, I said 0.1% would have been fair, like, point, or 0.01, I guess it would be, like, yeah. the lowest possible percentage, because of course they're not, but no one has, like, a 0% chance. So I took a right. little bit of, like, problem with that. I do, I do understand that. There's always the possibility, but... They got that figure not because of Brandon Hyde, but because of the talent level of the roster. It's simply not good. No one, uh, if again, I, I, I could repeat this till I'm blue in the face. Is Hyde the guy long term? We don't know. But who's going to do better with the team right now? Yeah, there, there simply isn't someone to do that. Um, I'm going to try, try Paul Valley a few more times. If he doesn't answer, then we'll, we'll just do take the rake. We'll get Paul's answer on that later. Um, but, you know, as, as of, uh, you know, talking about this discussion, it's like you said, we could talk about it till we're blue in the face, and probably a lot of people won't accept the the actual results of what Brandon Hyde will give you. But that's just you know unfortunate, and it's it's the way it's got to be right now. Brandon Hyde is is in a tough spot. He's not going to win you a lot of ball games, but that's not his fault. And that's you know it's also not Michael Elias's fault for not giving Brandon Hyde a good team. It's simple as that. Um, we're here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm going to call Paul Valley one more time. If he does not answer this time, then we are going to do take the rank by ourselves. We'll get Paul's pick later. Um, we can call his fiance, get Laura's pick. Instead. We we might she'll, need to get Laura's. I I don't know if she's down there with it. Who knows? But uh, Paul Valley needs to needs to pick up the phone here. Uh, so I we're guess gonna try yeah, they're on vacation, aren't they? I don't know. Maybe I don't know if she's with him or not. But we're going to try Paul Valley one more time here. Uh, and and Ryan. Is there anything else you had to, to kind of cover while I get try to get Paul on the line again? Man, there's there's so much that I would love to continue talking about. Obviously, we we are running out of time here, but um, if I can if I can plug my own podcast, actually, I'll be coming back soon. At the, it's called Give That Fan a Podcast. Obviously, an homage to Rex Barney and his Give That Fan a Contract call. It's hosted on UtahStreetReport.com. So uh, I'll be coming back soon with that, and I'm going to go on a rant about the rebuild because I've seen so many opinions floated around the internet, Twitter, Facebook, social media, talking about how the rebuild's a failure because the major league team is bad. And that simply is not how a rebuild works, especially not three years into the rebuild. It's really two if you take into consideration the fact that last year there was no minor league season. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know what you expect from that. Elias was brought in at the end of twenty eighteen to redo the farm system. Uh, bring in an international presence, uh, redo the scouting and player development side of things. And from going from two years ago to philosophically we don't participate in the posting process to try to sign Shohei Otani to now having a top five farm system in baseball and signing two of the top 30 guys in the international class, that's a, a significant upgrade. It's huge. It's going to pay yeah. dividends. It will long and, term. Yeah, I mean, keep I'm, looking to that long term picture for exactly. sure. Exactly. That's that's the only way to you know. It's it's tough. I I. I'm an Orioles. I love the Orioles more mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. I hate losing, mm -hmm. but the Orioles are going to lose 100 games this year, and I don't care, right? Because I've, I'm genuinely optimistic about the future, and it's such a good feeling. All right, um, we're gonna we're gonna go on to take the rake by ourselves right now. If Paul Valley calls us like halfway through, we'll just pick up the phone and, and, and talk to him. But for for right now, we're on our own. Um, last week, the selections were as follows: uh, Paul Valley is the winner. He can't be here to to take his crown, but Paul Valley is the winner of the week. Uh, DJ Stewart. He had a really good week. 333 batting average, 429 on base, 778 slugging. Um, 
1206 OPS, hit two home runs, five RBIs. Really solid week for DJ Stewart. He had to win. Um, I don't think there's there's anyone else who, who could have taken the crown. Cedric Mullins, who was I uh, who was I picked, the guy I picked, came in second place for the week. 308 batting average, 357 on base, 500 slugging, 857 OPS. Didn't have a homer, had three RBIs, uh, walked twice, struck out four times. So great week by Cedric. Probably would have won in a lot of the weeks of Take to Rake. Didn't win this week. And then finally, uh, Jason Lockett Fora was the guest last week who was the made his third pick. He picked Anthony Santander, who was the winner actually of that week, who I won with that week. Uh, Anthony Santander, 217, 280 on base, 261 slugging, 541 OPS, only had just two hits. So, or five hits, excuse me. Um, wasn't a very productive week. Actually, it was. Uh, yes, five hits. Um, actually, wasn't a very productive week for Santander. So that's how it goes as follows. Ryan, I just told you the, the rules of the game. You cannot pick the same player as Jason Lockett Fora did last week, um, but you can pick any player. Again, not a pitcher, only a position player. So you will be actually picking third. Um, Paul Valley would have gotten a pick first, but he didn't answer the phone. So unfortunately, <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm picking right now, and I'm going to take Ryan Mountcastle. I think Ryan Mountcastle is going to have another solid week. Um, he's been hot right now, so hopefully Mountcastle picks it up. Ryan, who is your selection? I'm going to go with uh, Freddie Galvis. Okay. Uh, I think if, especially if, if Hyde keeps hitting him higher up in the order, he's been I, – I, I don't know off the top of my head what the lineup's been the last couple nights, but I know he was hitting cleanup as recently as a few nights ago. Uh, you know, If he keeps hitting the top of the lineup, DJ Stewart keeps getting on base sure. ahead of him. I, I think he's he's set up for a good week, and he's been hit, hitting the ball well uh, recently too. So I, I'm I'm gonna go with with. We might have Paul Valley. We might actually have Paul Valley as Ryan finishes this discussion. Galvis, I'm gonna go with Galvis. Um, you know, I, I I think there's some some potential there. You know, I, like like Rich Dubroff said, Galvis came in to replace Jose Iglesias and has been arguably better than Iglesias was. Now Iglesias hit for good average, but uh, didn't bring too much else to the table. Galvis, uh, very serviceable in his replacement at about half the cost. So that's exactly what the plan was in bringing in Freddie Galvis to cut a little bit of cost and have similar production to Jose Iglesias, and that's exactly what Galvis has done. All right, Ryan Blake selects Freddie Galvis. I selected uh, Ryan Mountcastle already. Paul would have gotten the first pick, but we just got him on the line now. Uh, Paul, you won this week. DJ Stewart is was your selection. You were the winner this week, but unfortunately, um, you were just a little bit too late to pick first. But you still have that's, a bunch of options available. That's all right. I wasn't going to pick either of those guys anyway. Okay, I was okay. thinking about Mount Castle, but Trey Mancini's out there. I can't yeah, not take yeah, him. Yeah, you have to take Trey. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I think when you called, I was teeing off on the second hole, and no I was getting sand shots. Totally forgot about <laughs> it, and then looked and saw I had six missed calls. So no problem. Uh, my my sincerest apologies, but yeah, I'm going to go Trey Mancini today. That's that's a good selection. Trey Mancini's been hot as well. Um, I'm glad I didn't take you know who you were going to take with the first overall pick. I'm glad that that didn't happen. But yeah, Paul Valley, I, I believe that's your third win of the year. Correct? It's now three, two, and two. Uh, two for yeah. the guest, two for me, and then three for you. So that is how it that, that is how it shapes up. Um, Paul, any quick comments on the Orioles before we we get out of here? Who is this team, man? I mean, you looking at them, they have uh, fourteen straight losses and they win three in a row and look like a competent baseball team. Yeah. And it really just kind of goes to show that that a fourteen game losing streak, like like Glenn was saying on his show the other day, it's more of an anomaly than yeah. anything else, yeah. and it's just being proven the fact that they've gone out there and now won three straight and have a good shot to win today with John Means on the hill. So hopefully they can get a fourth win in a row. Not sure if I'd rather them lose and get that first overall pick, but you 
Yeah. You want to watch competent baseball, and that's kind of what we're seeing out of them now. So it's refreshing after that tough two weeks. It's definitely a lot more fun to to watch the Orioles, listen to the Orioles when they're winning. But you know that that first overall pick is is pretty attractive. I mean, it looks you know maybe a guy like Elijah Green. You don't know who's going to be at the top there, but sure, that first overall pick is definitely attractive. And Arizona could definitely play themselves right into that. So I guess they, the Orioles they absolutely could. I guess the Orioles like, have to keep losing if they want to make that happen. Um, anything else before we uh, before we get out of here, Paul? No, man, I'm actually about to tee off on the third right. hole now, so i got to run. But uh, Sounds... thanks for reminding me, and thanks for letting me get a pick in before you guys went off the air today. I appreciate it. Sounds good. Have a, uh, have a great vacation. Paul will be back next week. Uh, but Ryan Blake did a great job today, um, a great job filling in. So thanks, Thank Paul, you. and uh, we, will, we will talk to you next week. Hey, thanks for giving me an opportunity to, to make a pick this week. Ryan, thanks for uh, taking over with Zach while I was out of town. I appreciate it. I'll see you guys all next week. Hey, thanks for thinking of me. Go hit some bombs. All right, right, that was Paul Valley, the host of the Bat Around, uh, who will be back next week, as I just mentioned. Ryan, uh, thank you very much for coming in today. Obviously, it's you know not it's a Saturday, it's a Saturday morning, so I'm I'm appreciative that you were available here and you were able to uh, to come on with us for sure. I I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you had me. This was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm actually I I have to move this afternoon. Oh, do you? Where Where are you moving to? (laughs) Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Okay. I'm you, I'm finally moving. I've been up there for a while now. I was kind of doing the Airbnb thing, but I'm actually moving into an apartment. My girlfriend's coming up, so they're on their way up there now. Got it. So, got uh, it. We're nice. Getting, we're getting the rest of her stuff up there, so it's it's going to be a busy day. But yeah. I'm running on about one hour of sleep. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here. Then Ryan has to go move. So everyone, appreciate you uh, listening to the bat around. As always, like I said, we'll be back to the regular show next week. Ryan did a fantastic job uh, filling in, filling in this week. We'll be back with some great guests next week. Uh, Thanks again, Ryan, and we'll see you guys next time.